Juan? What is up on this Tuesday night? Yes, your screen does not betray you. We are on on a different night, but it's the same show. This is Football Life Presents The Audible. I'm your host, Randy Hammond. Thank you for joining us on a different kind of schedule these couple of weeks, but we're making it work for you. Uh, Matt, you're my co-host as usual. How are you doing out there in Arizona today? Man, just trying to stay safe, not go outside anymore. Um, Arizona's in rough shape with this virus, so I, I'm going to make a public service announcement. Go outside, wear your mask. Wear your mask. Yeah, uh, wise words there from Matt. Uh, I am living in an area where we already kind of ate the shit on the on the virus, but wearing your mask is still very important. Uh, it's not about you, you know, helping other people at the end of the day. It's not, not the end of the world, so... Uh, We have a great show. At least I think it's a great show planned for you. We have a lot of Patriots news. Uh, Former MVP signing to play quarterback after Tom Brady. Uh, The Patriots, Matt, not surprising, getting busted, cheating once again. I know you have some thoughts. It's potentially legacy-impacting news. Um, And then former Patriot, for a day at least, uh, Antonio Brown is in the news today, potentially signing with the team, although the team disputed that rumor. So we'll talk about that as well. And it's your favorite week. Maybe it's not your favorite week, but it's NFC North week. So I don't know if you're following the show. Matt Bushnell here, big, big-time Chicago Bears fan, big-time hater of the rest of the teams in that division. I'm really interested in this division, Matt. Give me your quick thoughts on the division before we break down the rest of it. Best division in football. Whoa. Whoa. No, I'm kidding. I mean, it's overrated in a lot of different places. I mean, the quarterbacks are overrated. The teams <laughs> are overrated. But you know what? It's my division. It is, at the very least, it is just your division. Um, and we have two special guests joining us. I don't know any other Lions fan uh, in these Facebook groups other than Leon Tompkins, who's the host of, uh, over in Baller's Life and the Step Back podcast. He'll be joining us to talk about his misery, which will make me appreciate being a Giants fan so much more. I cannot wait for that. And Ryan Shiner joins us once again. He hasn't been on since the draft specials, so he's going to join us, and him and Matt are going to bicker about the Bears. So I'm super excited about that. And if you're a Packers fan, you probably won't love this episode. I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of hatred towards you and your organization. So uh, anyway, before we get to that, there's some big news this week, Matt. I'm very excited about NFL news of any kind, um, but we were speculating, speculating about it all offseason. Who or where was this guy going to end up? But Cam Newton, former MVP, 2015 MVP, uh, former number one overall pick 2011, signed with the New England Patriots. And it's, you know, probably the perfect fit here because they were the one team you look around the league that didn't have a great starting quarterback option, or at least somebody they weren't planning around the future with, unless you were someone who totally loved Jarrett Stidham. Um, you understood that like they were kind of in no man's land here with the quarterback situation. I love this move for the Patriots. It's a one year veterans minimum contract with incentives. This is a low risk, high reward contract. Uh, like, give me your thoughts on Cam Newton to the new England Patriots. It makes a lot of sense for them. I, I think it tells you really what they thought about Stidham. I mean, I think we all kind of knew that th- this guy, even if he does turn out to be good, it's still going to be a work in progress. Kind of shocked that Cam took the league minimum on this deal, but mm-hmm. he, he wanted to play. Obviously, he's going to start. This may have been the only situation where he starts right away for a team that he would sign with. I wonder what they can do with Cam because I feel it's very similar to what happened in Carolina. Average weapons, you know, or maybe even below average weapons. I mean, Julian Edelman's pretty good. Uh, I'm not very familiar on the running back situation. And if I don't know a lot about their running back situation, I think it needs a lot of improvement. 
So, but you have one of the smartest and cheatingest coaches of all time, so I'm sure they can work their way around it. But to, to Cam, I just feel like people look at that MVP season, Randy, and just just my opinion, he absolutely deserved it. I don't want to take that away from him. But the last few years has showed you that I'm not sure if he elevates talent or if he needs talent around him to be successful. So he definitely deserves a start. I need to see more. But right now, I, I think he's a league average quarterback. And if the defense is still good, it, it changes my thoughts on where this team could go a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that 2015 season was almost an outlier for him because he really did elevate the roster around him. He did not have weapons that were NFL quality. He was thrown to like Philly Brown and Ted Ginn uh, and Kelvin Benjamin. You know, I mean, he had Jonathan Stewart in the backfield, who was at the time a decent running back, but um, he really did um, deserve the MVP that year. He had 45 total touchdowns. Uh, he, he used his legs, obviously, really well. He was he was healthy, which is the biggest concern about Cam Newton right now, obviously, is his health. Uh, he missed 14 games last year. In 2018, he didn't play particularly well, especially in the back end of the, of the season. Um, his health is a big problem. His shoulder, I believe it's a uh, lephringic. I, I don't know if you know how to pronounce that, but it's a big time shoulder problem. Uh, if, if Cam is healthy, um, I have no issues about this, but obviously his health is a big concern here. Um, do you think if he's healthy, he could still be effective for the Patriots? Yeah and no. I think Cam – First of all, he'll never be healthy in, in our sense of, you know, football healthy-wise. He's he's a big man. He's taken a lot of beatings. I mean, mm -hmm. naturally, when you're that big, you try to deliver the punishment, especially when you're running the football. And I, I think this is what kind of concerns us a little bit about Lamar Jackson when we talk about how fragile and how small he is. But Lamar is faster and he's more elusive. Like, you really pointed that out when we did the mm -hmm. AFC North was how elusive he is for a quarterback, which is outstanding for his style of play. Cam's not elusive. Cam's the hammer trying to nail, you know, hit the nail. And you can only do that for so long, especially at these positions. He's almost like a running back in that sense. So he's really going to have to try to set his feet in the pocket and really manipulate the pocket, which I never felt was his strongest part of his game. Obviously him rolling outside of the pocket with, I mean, just an incredible you know, his arm strength is unreal, but his accuracy leaves you a little bit to be desired. But in order for him to be successful, he's going to have to change his game. And I'm not sure if the Patriots have the infrastructure to make this work. But, you know, a one-year deal, better than what they have. So, makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so you touched on it a little while ago that Jared Stidham, uh, they probably don't believe in Jared Stidham as much as they would have liked to believe at, during the draft. Um they said that there's going to be a quarterback competition between Stidham, Cam, and Brian Hoyer for some reason. Um, but, you know, I think this is a lock. As long as Cam's healthy, he's going to be the day one starter. Do you think there's any chance he doesn't become the day one starter? Barring injury, no. I, I, I don't think either of these two guys are even in the same conversation as Cam. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of nonsense with the quarterback uh, competition thing, especially with a guy like Cam. Uh, obviously, you want to give – Stidham reps and want him to get better because it's hard to trust that Cam Newton's going to stay healthy all season. So you're going to need Stidham to be ready to go at any given time. Um, but I'm under, like, if Cam Newton is healthy, he is still a pretty good quarterback. And he's a lot better than what the Patriots had going into the season here. Um, when we did our AFC East breakdown a couple weeks ago, 
we all kind of said this is going to be a 500 season for the Patriots, and they probably weren't going to make the playoffs. Does this change your view on that? Do you, are the Patriots a playoff team in 2020 now? I, I just – I don't think so. I can't see it. With so many quality teams, I mean, maybe they get that third wild card spot. I mean, that's definitely in the cards for them at maybe nine and seven. But I'm looking at teams that they would have to leapfrog. You're talking Pittsburgh. That could be an issue. I mean, I, I think it's pretty safe to say that Baltimore and Cleveland, I think both of you, I think both of us expect Cleveland and Baltimore to be in the playoffs again. And, you know, I think you said Pittsburgh – might even be ahead of them. So that leaves one more spot. And then you also look at the AFC South, which we'll also do in this series. And there's still two really good teams that I really love. I mean, I absolutely love, love, love the Indianapolis Colts this year. And I also like the Tennessee Titans, but, you know, they could be a fringe one. So then you look at the AFC West, which will also hit up. So, I mean, really, you're looking at the Patriots trying to grab that last playoff spot it's possible at nine and seven. I still think this is an eight and eight football team. I, I just, I can't look at it any differently. Their defense played against inept offenses in the first half of the season. And you really saw the Titans exploit that defense. So, I, I mean, I still think it's eight and eight. That's surprising to me because uh, we're going to talk about this man in a second, but I think Bill Belichick is the greatest football coach of all time. And I think that he has desperately wanted a guy with some mobility for the last 20 years. Uh, He'll never complain about having Tom Brady as his quarterback, obviously, but to have a guy who can use his legs to make plays, maybe Bill will come back and run some RPOs that he can never run before. Maybe run some play action with a rollout that he can never run with Tom Brady before. This changes the way Bill Belichick's going to call offense, especially like obviously a lot rides on Cam Newton's health. I understand that, but Bill Belichick's eyes are probably lighting up at the possibilities for this offense because they run the ball a lot. Their offensive line isn't the worst offensive line. It's decent. Um, obviously their outside weapons aren't that good, but if you have any sort of, um, resemblance of cam in 2017 this team will be good i think and i don't think they'll get one of those wild card spots per se but i think that this could you know potentially make them better than the bills and win that division um if cam's healthy if like like i said that's a qualifier for this whole entire conversation if cam newton's healthy and he plays every game i could see the patriots winning this division now and you know i can't argue that because i i don't believe in the bills i mean i've stated that much i i think the bills are wildly (laughs) overrated I think the Dolphins are good, but I still see the Dolphins as a year away. You know, mm-hmm. it's just too early for me to see the Dolphins really take control of this division. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, if Cam is healthy, a- absolutely they're in this conversation. I-, I have to look at Cam as not being healthy, though, because that's been the track record. Yeah, I mean, you've seen videos of him working out. He says he's healthy. The Patriots did some uh, workouts with him. So, I, I mean, they probably came to the conclusion that – he was healthy. The Patriots probably know everything in the world about shoulder injuries at this point. <laughs> the Patriots do this kind of research. Um, I, I trust the Patriots as far as when this comes uh, to, to their signings. I mean, not every signing in the world works out for them, but, you know, they signed a guy like Corey Dillon back in the day who was disgruntled in Cincinnati and it worked out. They signed a guy like Randy Moss who was called lazy and that he didn't give a crap about football anymore in Oakland. Turns out to set NFL records and I just think that the Patriots somehow have this way of grabbing these veterans who were one-time elite, may not be elite anymore, and getting some, getting the most out of them. So I trust the Patriots here more so than Cam, but I'm excited to see how this shakes out, honestly. 
You know, you know, Randy, I feel pretty good when I don't, until I get out of the bed in the morning as well. So it's when I start yeah. moving around that I don't feel so good. <laughs> I, yeah, I, it, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, it'll be different for Cam. As soon as he starts taking hits and stuff, everything in contact, I, I think it will change a little bit. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, I don't trust the lip service. Okay. And like I said, not every signing that the Patriots make works out. Uh, those are just a few examples. You know, Chad Ochocinco didn't do anything. Uh, there, was, there, there are a lot more names that probably didn't work Albert out. Albert Hainsworth. That, that's a good one as well. Um, but anyway, this news uh, of Camp signing with the Patriots conveniently comes at the same time that the news of the Patriots got caught red-handed once again. Uh, they are being punished for filming the Bengals' practice in week 14 of last season. Uh, actually, they, they uh, legally recorded the Cincinnati Bengals sideline during week 14. This is the Cincinnati Bengals team with the number one overall pick and, and the worst team in the league, by the way. So uh, according to ESPN, their, fine, their punishments were $1.1 million in club fines, loss of the 2021 third-round pick, and the Patriots TV crews will not be allowed to shoot games at all during the 2020 season. And if you are someone who knows football and has followed the Patriots, this is not the first time they've been caught doing anything uh, a little kind of sketchy a little uh kind of pushing the envelope here um i don't necessarily think it's the huge deal but at the same time it's not a great look for the patriots matt i understand that you think this is a bigger deal than most only because of the history and and you can't be that deaf as an organization not to know your own history it, and i've heard that this was an independent filming company but how do they know what to film then so why are their cameras even on the Bengals sideline what's so enthralling about one of the worst rosters in the nfl you know taping their sideline and i get it i mean you know these people may not know any better but man where there's smoke there's fire and i'm sorry they got i don't know how long they got away with it before they get caught I know a lot of people just want to reference the 2007 season and everything, but no, man, that's when they got caught. This practice has been going on longer. And just think about it. If Eric Mangini knew about it, how long was Eric Mangini a coordinator with the Patriots? It was quite a few years. So I question every Super Bowl at this point. I mean, I don't even care. You know, Patriot fans can say a lot, but this is worse I mean, and if you've played football, if you know football, if, you know, you study playbooks and all that and you did all that stuff, you will know what an advantage it is to know what the defense is running before the play is even called by not even where they're lining up because you can disguise defensive plays by, you know, formations and everything. A formation means nothing in the NFL nowadays defensively. It's just to confuse you. So if you don't have to worry about that aspect of the game and you can just know what the defense is doing right from the jump and not worry about where to set your offensive line, where to call your hot routes or any of that, it changes the entire dynamic of the game. And it, it, I think for people to make light of this situation is incredibly obtuse. It changes everything for me, from the history, from the Super Bowl wins, to Tom Brady being in the GOAT conversation. He's, he's out, man. He's disqualified for me, Randy, at this point. I won't even put him in my top 10 because I just wow. don't know from some schlep that played at Michigan. And I watched a lot of Michigan football games, not very impressed with his body of work at Michigan. 
becomes a sixth round pick and has this storybook type of career. And for it to culminate in this, again, to be that tone deaf where you just don't care, where it's not clearly outlined in your video crew manual that this has happened again, I have to believe that it's continued. Your, your history has doomed you. I, I don't want to sound like the guy who throws everyone under the bus here, but I'm probably going to. But I can't imagine they're the only team that's doing this sort of thing. Although I will agree with you that they they apparently said in a statement that they were filming an episode of their documentary series called Do Your Job, um, which is obviously that chant that Bill Belichick uh, or something. I think Belichick started that chant or something at a, at a victory parade. Um, and they had failed to notify the Bengals that they were there. Um, and funny thing you bring up 2007, this fine is actually more than what the Patriots received for Spygate at the time, um, which Belichick himself was fined $500,000 and the team was fined $250,000, um, which seems so light looking back at it, um, considering, you know, like you said, you when you know what's coming, it's sort of like the Astros situation where if you know what pitch is coming, it makes it a lot easier to hit the baseball. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm just not convinced that the Patriots are the only team in history that has done something like this. They are certainly the only team dumb enough to get caught multiple times, um, which is alarming to me. And like you said, it, uh, you point out that it's the 2007 Jets, which um, not the best team in the league by any means, and the Bengals, the worst team in the league last year. So if you're filming these two teams, you're definitely probably filming other teams that you probably look at as a opposed a threat, excuse me. So I don't believe that they're the only teams that do this sort of thing, but they are definitely the team that seems to get busted more. I don't know why that is, but it seems like they're almost too arrogant to care uh, if they get caught or not. Yeah, I, I think arrogance plays a huge role in it. I mean, just to think about the level of arrogance. Eric Mangini, I believe, said he was aware of this practice, and he notified his superiors of this situation. And he coached under Belichick, and Belichick knew. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe Belichick lives in an alternate reality where he never talks to his assistants. I mean, th that almost has to be on the table with how bad his assistants have when they go into other jobs. So for him to record his former protege is just a whole different level of arrogance. So – why should I believe he stopped? Why should we believe, Randy, that this Bengals was just a, it was a misunderstanding? We didn't know. You know, they didn't know. I'm not buying that. Yeah, it, it's tough to defend, honestly. Like, I'm, I'm having a hard time coming up with words to say, like, no, the Patriots aren't cheaters. Like, I 100% am under the belief that they are cheaters. Like, if there are other teams that do this, in which I don't doubt – they do a hell of a lot better job of hiding it. And the Patriots, like, I, I, I'm just convinced that they are, like you said, Belichick is either too oblivious to, like, think that he just doesn't care about his assistants, doesn't talk to them about anything, or they just don't realize what's going on, or they don't care. And I'm kind of leaning, like, towards that they, they don't care about, about this stuff at all. So uh, this is uh, – chalk this up under uh, several <laughs> uh, different cheating scandals for the New England Patriots. This, is the, this isn't even the first post-Tom Brady because Tom Brady still uh, was on the team at the time, so I can't even say this wasn't even part of Tom Brady's legacy either. Um, the big one for Brady will always be, for me, the uh, deflate gate, which might have been blown up out of proportion, but still kind of sketchy going on <laughs> what was going on at the time and the phone, getting rid of the phone and everything. Um, 
you know, when you're innocent, you destroy evidence. It kind of makes me think that you're not innocent. <laughs> it makes it seem like you have something to hide. So uh, they they don't they don't, definitely don't try to hide their cheating. Like maybe other teams might. It's the same baseball. Every team steals signs. Not every team banks trash can when a pitch is coming. Not every team uh, whistles when a fastball is coming. Uh, it's a different level of cheating, and it's uh, totally an unfair advantage when it comes comes down to it and it's the Bengals. what do you need to film the Bengals sideline for are you serious you're the New England Patriots I, I just don't get it at this point I know Patriots fans might get on our get on us for this but I, I, if I was a Patriots fan I'd be exhausted in defending it at this point wouldn't you I don't know how you could hide it or just even deny it like P- I mean I, I get it homers are going to be homers no matter what I mean hell I stuck up for Mitch Trubisky through thick and thin so I know I know the pain of not wanting to believe that your guy sucks, but you know, so sometimes at the end of the day, you, you have to realize what it is and you want to be happy with the championships. No, no one's ever going to take those feelings away from you as a fan when they won those titles. Just like I'm sure Randy, if I told you Eli Manning was using steroids and he had photographic evidence on Bill Belichick that implicated that he had some sort of cheating scandal on his wife or his girlfriends <laughs> or his wife's and girlfriends. I mean, that wouldn't take away your Eli Manning Super Bowl joys, right? I mean, it'd be a little bit tainted and you'd be like, oh, well, that sucks. Oh, well, we still got two Super Bowls. But, right. I, I mean, you definitely have to look at this situation and be like, you know what? This, this does not look good. This is bad. And you need to shut up and go in the corner and stop defending it at this point. Just, you know, ignore the noise, be yeah. a fan, but don't stick up for this anymore. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't know, I'm a Yankees fan. So I kind of lived through this with the five titles that the team won uh, in the late 90s and into the 2000s that, uh, you know, steroids very much present in baseball at the time. So fans are like, well, all those titles are tainted. Like, okay, fine. But at the time, you can't tell me I, I can't be happy about my team winning the World Series. And when you learn that more and more guys did that throughout time, like, it makes me care a tiny bit less about uh, the championships at that point. Like, you know, they always bring up Jason Giambi. Well, Jason Giambi wasn't on the team when they won a World Series. So that means nothing to me at the end of the day. Roger Clemens, sure, whatever. He helped us He helped us win one. I don't even think he helped us win the other one. But A-Rod helped us win one, fine. But for the most part, we didn't win a lot with A-Rod, uh, like championship-wise especially. Like, the, the, the steroid argument is a similar argument to me with this. Is like, I'm sure more, more people do it. And in due time, I'm sure we might find out more about it. Uh, baseball for sure we found out that steroids were a lot more common than any of us realized at the time so i, I mean yeah i mean we could drag i mean let's drag boston a little bit more through the mud i mean david ortiz <laughs> and manny ramirez i mean we know they had a huge impact in the world series and both of them have tested positive for steroids so it, it, yeah. it might just be a boston thing i'm i'm with that you know the more we slander boston on the show the happier i am doing the show so I let, you know, we, if we want to do a whole slander David Ortiz segment here, I'm all for that because there's no way that guy was hitting 150 the whole entire season in 2013 and then hit 600 in the world series. What changed? Damn it. Anyway, that's, that's a whole another conversation. <laughs> all right. So, you know, another blow to the Pats legacy. I think we both kind of agree that this is a really bad look for them and there's no coincidence that they signed Cam Newton the same time this news came out. And I think that's just another uh, Bill Belichick doing where he's trying to, hide some things in the news so all right so this guy played for the the Patriots for a game last year and former Pittsburgh Steeler and technically Oakland Raider but Antonio Brown uh, in the news today um, 
I believe it was Mike Lombardi said that um, that the Bucks were interested in signing Antonio Brown, or Antonio Brown was interested in signing with the Bucks. And I'm thinking all day, like that's not a great fit strictly because they have weapons everywhere. There's not enough balls to go around for a, a, an Antonio Brown to the Bucks situation unless you like trade Chris Godwin or you give up on Mike Evans, and either of those things are happening. Um, and then ESPN reported uh, that the team was not interested in the free agent receiver. And actually, Bruce Arians kind of bashed him. Uh, and he says there's just too much miscommunication with him, too much diva. I've heard so many stories. I like Antonio Brown. He plays as hard as anybody on Sunday, and he practices hard. He's just got to make better decisions off the field, be on time, and do some of those little things. So the rumor wasn't long-lived, but it got people thinking, like, is Antonio Brown going to play this year? So I will ask you, is Antonio Brown going to play in 2020? God, man, I, I just – I don't know. I think there's so many pieces to that question where if Antonio Brown does play again, um, I think it changes things for a lot of oh – gosh. I, I, I don't think Tampa's the logical fit here. I, I, I think a team that would need more wide receivers. So apparently we have people joining us. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. Uh... Ryan Shiner, how you doing, man? You're here to talk about the Bears. How's it going? I'm I'm doing just fine. I'm waiting for uh, Henry to make a comment so I can do my hair flip. But uh... <laughs> yeah, give the people a show. Why don't you give them an early hair flip before Henry arrives? There it is. There, there it is. Go. Nicely done. Uh, and making his audible debut, the step back host, Leon Tompkins. Leon, how you doing, man? Good, good. How you fellas feeling, man? Yeah, every day that I'm not a Lions fan makes me thankful in life. So I'm probably doing a little bit better in the football world, I guess. Yeah. Um, God bless you because you'll go crazy. Matter of fact, coming on to talk about it, I need to have a drink. <laughs> I respect it. Uh, just you can, I not. Yeah, well, I was going to say, Leon needs something stronger than that if he's drinking being a Lions fan. <laughs> every Sunday, it, it – it, just every Sunday. I should have brought out the Malore. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to wrap a bow on the Antonio yeah. Brown discussion. Uh, the Bucks make no sense for a guy like no. Antonio Brown. Um, if he does sign with a team, I hope it's someone who needs a wide receiver like the Jets. Uh, I, I can't even think maybe the, the Panthers oh. could throw a, throw him a bone or something. But uh, Bucks, I know that the Tom Brady connection is there and they're friends or whatever, but just doesn't make a lot of sense from a football standpoint. And I'm not sure Antonio Brown won't be in jail at that point. So uh, <laughs> stay tuned with the Antonio Brown uh, saga in the NFL. Well, right. I'll say, hold on real quick. Just watch out for the Vikings on that. That kind of makes sense for him to go to the Vikings with okay. Thielen and Jefferson, both kind of being slot receivers. So league minimum to the Vikings. Can't wait for him and Kirk Cousins to get into a fight on the sideline. That actually sounds great. Uh, now I kind of rooting for that to happen. Okay, I I am feel out of place here because I am the only person in this conversation that is not a fan of the NFC North. Uh, but I'm going to try to steal the ship here and just let the anger and uh, arguments flow through all of you. So I'm very excited about this. Uh, we have two Bears fans and a Lions fan. And we're going to jump right into the Lions here because they were the worst team in this division. They've been one of the worst teams in the NFL for the last, you know, however long you want to say. Uh, Leon, I don't, I don't want to pile on Leon. I'm sorry. But every Thanksgiving when I have to watch some scrub, David Blau or, you know, Jeff Driscoll, it just ruins my freaking day every time. And I can't imagine what it must be like to watch that every single week. 
Leon, just give us a brief statement about your, your precious Detroit Lions. Well, I'm going to start out with three words. Am I allowed to, cur- I allowed to curse on this uh, program here? <laughs> Do your thing, man. Fuck Matt Millen. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned Thanksgiving. You know, it starts out with always a long, drawn-out national anthem. Last year was Patti LaBelle. It took about 10 minutes. And then, <laughs> then the show started. Uh, was it last year was the uh, Texans, I believe. Right? Oh, no. No, 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 no the no. Vikings. Last year no, was the Vikings. No, no, no. We kicked your ass on Thanksgiving. Yeah, that was two years ago. I thought it was, or was it last year? Two years in a row. Yeah, two, two years in a row. Wow. I wore this shirt. Yeah, Chase Daniel <laughs> beat you the first year, and then Mitch Trubisky beat you the second year. And, I remember and the you know, Chase Daniel game. And like last year, like Mitch Trubisky only drew sixty percent when he played against the Lions. Um, yeah, and the year before that, I think it was the Texans, where Forsett was. Uh, not ruled down, he ran for like 70-yard touchdown, threw a review flag, turns out you can't review a touchdown. So every year it's something something new. Joey Harrington, uh, Tom Brady lit him up on Thanksgiving. Uh, Did John Kitna a couple times too? Yeah, you know, John Kitna threw for 5,000 yards, uh, got himself a nice little deal out of it. But, you know, we're known for making – Scrub quarterbacks get their payday, and like Matt Flynn, and uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's just uh, just a shame. I mean Chase Daniel now. I mean you guys paid Chase Daniel top dollar. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I've been screaming for Kaepernick for like three years because they've been running through Chase Daniel, uh, like David Blau, and, and just scrub after scrub after scrub. All the same you know, guy. <laughs> Because you know Stafford's going to get hurt by week five because he's running around for his life back there with no offensive line. So carry on. Johnson gets hurt by week three. Uh, tight end drops a touchdown pass. And a ref's going to screw you at some point in the, in the third or fourth quarter. So every week, you know. You can't get screwed by the ref in the fourth quarter if you're losing by four touchdowns. <laughs> so at that point, that point, it's just pride. Well, like you see – Last year, we got screwed by the refs in the fourth quarter with the Falcons, the 10-second runoff, uh, the first game of the year. I feel like you did that That's a couple times. In a, two years in a row, you had that happen to you, right? I think it was just last year. What was the Golden Tate game when that happened that, a couple of years ago, too? No, that, that was the Golden Tate game. Oh, uh, okay. And then uh, uh, the, the, the face mask, the phantom face mask against Rodgers. You had the bat call against the Seahawks too, right? Yeah, the bat call. I figured, you know, Johnson would fumble at the one-yard line and then the possession catch. But what I believe, I truly believe, is the Lions' downfall went – it all started when the Cowboys' uh, playoff game, but it picked up the flag. Yep. And uh, We were all Lions fans that day. Yeah, they issued an apology like two weeks later. But, you know, ever, ever since then, it, it's just been a, a rough go. Well, I, I, I think we have to take a, you know, Leon, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to open up some very old wounds here. You know, I remember watching the Lions on Thanksgiving under Wayne Fonts and that run and shoot offense and just, you know, they'd spread out their wide receivers and they'd have this little back that was drafted out of Oklahoma State that really decided, you know, he turned a lot of heads. So, 
you know, they uh, make Barry Sanders – I mean, Barry Sanders is Hall of Fame running back, one of the top mm-hmm. three running backs that ever lived. And what do the Lions do? The most Lion things ever, you know, they don't consult Barry Sanders, but they go hire Bobby Ross, who openly criticizes Barry Sanders out in the open. And Barry Sanders already frustrated with losing as it is, decide, you know what, screw this, I'm done. I, I'm not playing for this sad franchise. And if, if that wasn't enough, if – you know, you don't learn from your past. You're doomed to repeat it. Then they make Calvin Johnson retire. I mean, <laughs> we're talking – maybe each one of these guys is top five all-time at their position. I mean, top five. And only one True. organization in the history of organizations, and I'm talking any sports, that I can associate – I can even think of another team that made two top five players at their positions retire in their prime – I mean, in their prime, we're talking – I mean, I think undoubtedly we can all say that Barry Sanders was going to be the all-time leading rusher if he never retired. I, I think that is a foregone conclusion. And I think it's very realistic Calvin Johnson could have finished his career as the best wide receiver ever. So both of those things are in play, and I have no issue saying that they made the best player ever at each of their respective positions retire in their primes. But somehow the Lions are able to keep a quarterback – Matthew Stafford, nice sweatshirt, by the way, happy, and he doesn't retire. Is the reason why he hasn't retired is because he's average? No, because he's paid about 100 and almost 200 million. That's why he hasn't retired. Okay. I mean, you ever see that SpongeBob movie? And there's that scene where, so, Mr. Krabs, what made you want to open a second Krusty Krab? Money. That's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Money. Money. That's a good, good point. All right. Well, it's a good transition. I just want to say before we get into Stafford a little bit more in 2020, the funniest thing I've ever seen besides the butt fumble on a football field um, was Dan Orlovsky running out of the back of the end zone for a safety while he's being chased by Jared Allen. <laughs> and the most iconic clip where Jared Allen's like laughing at him as he's running out for a safety. I'm very sorry, Leon. I am. I don't uh, want to seem like we're piling on. I no, know we're no, piling it, on, but this was kind of part of the plan. I watched uh, every game of that. Respect you coming on here. <laughs> Thanks. I watched every game of that season, and safe to say, it got worse each week. I, pretty much, I, I begged them to lose because I wanted to go home with 16 at that point. <laughs> I mean, you might as well make history. <laughs> Yeah, my thing is, and I know we talk about, you know, the tipping point of when things start going badly on, but my pinpoint, my demarcation flag for when the Lions started sucking is when they fired, um, God, I can't believe, Jim Caldwell. I thought Jim Caldwell did a really good job with the Lions. And for them to make such a buffoonery move that only the Lions could do, they fired the one guy that made this respectable franchise respect. I mean, I, I, hold on, I got to stop. Let's correct that. Not a respectable franchise because the lions are not respected. <laughs> um, this franchise established themselves as a decent run organization, which clearly we can throw that out the window because they are not. But from the bottom of my heart, with that happening, I just want to thank you, Leon, and your Detroit Lions, because if it wasn't for your Lions, my Chicago Bears would be the laughing stock of the NFC North, and they are not. So thank you. Thank you so much. Except for when the Lions beat us, because that usually happens every <coughs> once in a while. It's like, oh, here comes an easy win Detroit, we lose. Yeah. It, it, oh, we got three. They went three seasons without winning a single game on the road. First, first game, Soldier Field blowout. 
Yeah, okay. and, and and I like when they go into uh, Lambo and just demolish the Packers. Sometimes, you know, that that Alex, you do your thing. It's very random when the Lions win a big game like that, but uh, I'm sure it makes you happy nonetheless. Um, but the Lions have something, and a lot of teams would kill to have something like this. But they do have a franchise quarterback, and they've had a franchise quarterback for the last decade. Um, you know, whether he's Stat Padford or whatever you want to call him, he's still been the guy for the last 10 years. There's value to knowing who your quarterback is every season. Um, but he's not healthy anymore. He missed a big chunk of the season last year, Leon. Uh, is Matt Stafford healthy? And if he is, can the Lions be decent this year? I will say that before last year, he had a streak of over 100 games con- consecutively starting. Mm-hmm. And which before that, he had some just some freak injuries. Um, I believe he's one of the most underappreciated quarterbacks. Granted, he's never had an offensive line, and he's never had a decent running back. He's always had top-flight receivers, but um, it, the, their record is unfair to, is unfair to Stafford because he's played a hell of a game. And matter of fact, two years ago, we're under Caldwell. He led the league in comeback uh, four-quarter comebacks. So. I'm a big fan of Stafford. They keep talking about trading him. I'd rather keep him. You know how hard it is to find a franchise quarterback. I'd rather not go through the cycle again. So what's his injury situation looking like right now? What have you heard? Uh, he was doing some uh, some drills earlier this week. Uh, so so far he's on track to come in for training camp and uh, looks uh, ready to go. So, Matt, you made a, a face when I said that he was a franchise quarterback. Do you not agree with Matt Stafford being a, a franchise? I didn't say he was an elite quarterback. I just said he was a franchise quarterback. So, I want to hear your thoughts on that. I mean, Jay Cutler was a franchise quarterback then, too. I mean, let's roll with that. Um, just be- games a year. Yeah, I mean, just because a guy's labeled a franchise quarterback doesn't make him a franchise quarterback. And Leon, you made some good points. So maybe I'll back off of Stafford a little bit because he has been kind of at a disadvantage with being stuck with the Lions. But at the same token, a lot of Stafford's big games, the reason why they were flipped from wins to losses is because of his own self-inflicted wounds. For what makes Stafford really great also makes him – really average sometimes and that's throwing crucial interceptions where the ball should never go I mean he's usually pretty good for those Stafford man I I felt with Caldwell he really restrained Stafford and really made him a better quarterback more so than what Adam Gase did with Jay Cutler which Adam Gase has basically put handcuffs on Jay Cutler and said yeah you're not throwing the football like that anymore but Caldwell did a lot of good work with Stafford. And maybe if Stafford had that his entire career instead of what he was stuck with, um, it might have turned out different for him. But I felt the Calvin Johnson connection, it kind of inflated his thought process of where I could put this ball wherever I want because Calvin was such a unique wide receiver being able to go up and get any ball in triple and quadruple coverage. I mean, anybody would tell you those are horrible mistakes to throw the football into that type of coverage. And I think we still see that from Stafford and he doesn't realize that, you know, Calvin Johnson's not out there catching passes anymore. So I will give Stafford a little bit of a pass due to his situation but I can't forgive the self-inflicted wounds in big games. I will agree there. Um, I do remember that playoff game against the Seahawks. He kind of disappeared. 
the division game against the Packers the last week of the season a few years ago. He kind of disappeared then too. Um, I was, was, it's kind of weird to think that his numbers could be better if they ever scored in the red zone. And he has some pretty incredible numbers as it is. If they had a, you know, anybody besides Ebron at tight end or uh, if they just, once they get inside the 20, you know it's automatic field goal because they, they never score. Yeah, I attribute a lot of that to coaching. I mean, the coaching in Detroit has been horrific outside of Caldwell. I mean, I... I mean, even I, Caldwell had his, had a lot of gaps, though, in Detroit. I mean, there was one season they had, uh, what was it, like 10 men on the field during special teams, like four times in one season or something like that. Like, yeah. there were, there's, been a, there's been some issues with Detroit with just management in general. I mean, to, to be fair, Ryan, we saw that a lot with Lovey Smith, though, too, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying it as a good thing. I'm, I'm just saying it is a thing. I think Colwell was decent. I think Stafford bailed him out a lot. Uh, yeah, I remember Morning Wake, he the only moron who takes the wind in an overtime game. I do remember <laughs> that one. Yep. Do you guys uh, remember the OC who was getting credit <laughs> for Stafford in about like four years ago? Because he went on like a tear of six games or something like that, where he just lit up the league. Was that Jim Bob Cooter? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what a name! Legendary football name there. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know. I believe in Matt Stafford a little bit because when Calvin Johnson retired the year after, he actually did well. I think with spreading the ball around to his receivers, like he did have Golden Tate, he had Marvin Jones Jr. Uh, he tried to get the ball to the tight ends a lot. Um, I don't know. I feel like he's kind of gotten. Some, some shit just for being on the Lions. Uh, I think a lot of uh, being a franchise quarterback is kind of just being the face of the franchise, and he's done a good job of that, I feel like, uh, considering it is the Lions and they have made two legendary players retire in their prime, that he has done a better job of at least sticking around and kind of going with it here. I'm not saying he's elite, not saying he's the greatest quarterback ever, but I think he's good for what the Lions are. Um, Brian, I think you have been the one on the show who called him Stat Padford, so you're not a Stafford believer, I assume. Uh, correct. Okay. So you watch plenty of Stafford games. What's the issue with you and him? Um, I mean, well, the one thing that I know a lot of people always kind of bring up is the, the fourth quarter comebacks, uh, because there, I remember there was a point in time where it was like him and Cutler, people were trying to go to, though they were Mr. Fourth quarter. It's like, okay, do you want to know why they led for most <laughs> fourth quarter comebacks? Because they were always losing in the fourth quarter. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just always been, like, a lot of issues with Stafford. Um, I don't think the Lions would ever – are ever going to get over the hump with him. The thing with quarterbacks is, at some point, it's just kind of best to rip off the Band-Aid. You're, you invest so much time in the quarterback. You invest so much time uh, in, into your offense that once it becomes time to move on, it becomes hard to move on. Um, you know, the Lions had a chance to get somebody this year and apparently to a – was going to refuse to go to Detroit because of how poorly they run. So that's, you know. That's tough. That's, that's a tough spot for the Lions there. <clears throat> All right. So, Matt, you mentioned several times coaching and the Lions is a big issue. Um, when watching tape for all four of these teams in this division, no coach uh, was worse. And I can't imagine that I'll find a coach much worse uh, than Matt Patricia uh, and how poor of a job he's done with the Lions. And everyone – goes nuts with these Bill Belichick uh, tree guys and he is just 
been horrible from from the very beginning. Uh, Leon, I can only imagine your frustrations being the Lions fan watching Matt Patricia. Is there any hope for that guy in Detroit? Okay, here's the funny thing. Last year they lose to the Redskins. But they took the Chiefs to the last to the last drive, and they couldn't stop them on like fourth and ten or fourth and thirteen because Mahomes got like a fifteen yard run. Then you go to the first game of the season last year, but they played the Cardinals. As usual, they fuck up their timeouts. Stafford calls the play, but instead they call a timeout on the sideline. They convert the first down, but it doesn't count. They ended up in a tie. Patricia is one of these guys where he has a good game plan, but the execution is just god-awful. You you lose to bad teams like the Redskins, but they beat the Patriots last year on uh, Sunday night and just demolished Tom Brady. You would figure, like, uh, the Belichick tree would be, you know, halfway decent. These guys are (laughs) awful. You know, Cornell, Charlie Weiss. I mean, if there was any... Any, like, anyone with a pulse. If I could move to Detroit, I'd coach the team. But, you know, coaching has just been a, a bad, bad trait in, in Lions history. You go back to Morningwick, like I said. And they tried Steve Mariucci, uh, uh, Jim Schwartz. It, it's just awful all the way around. It's one of the – nobody wants the job. They just go for the money. Ryan, does uh, Matt Patricia make you appreciate uh, Nagy at all? <laughs> I don't have to appreciate anybody to understand that somebody else's misery could be worse. <laughs> That's true. That's very well said. <laughs> so what's the over-under um, for how quickly Patricia gets fired this year? Because he's obviously going to get canned. I, I say week six. Looking at that schedule, week four. Okay. That's fair. We got right. uh, he's going to get mean, a contract extension. Oh no! <laughs> Don't you put that evil out there? I hope not for your sake. I think they'll ride it out with him. He'll he'll go until you know, like week yeah, fifteen yeah. or maybe even save him for Black Monday. Might as well tank the season and try to get a quarterback after this year if they're truly that horrible. Um, Matt, I know that you uh, love Matt Patricia about as much as I do. So, <laughs> give me some of your thoughts on Matt Patricia as the head coach of the line. First of all, I, I'm I'm gonna say that he does okay with his um, play calling. I I don't hate it. I think it's um, you know it's quality for for a lot of situations. <laughs> no, oh, I thought I heard him. Uh, yep, I'm back. Oh, I'm he's back here. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. He's back. I'm, okay. All yeah, right. But let's as I was go. saying, all right, let's do this. Uh, the, the, there's the play calling aspect of it where I, I think he's not as bad as a lot of other coaches are he's terrible at player management i mean there's no question about it you got to be a pretty special scumbag to make darius slay hate you um then his personnel decisions are awful his meeting his preparation all this stuff that that exudes out of him is just awful his presentation the way he addresses players all the all the stuff that you hear man and i take a lot of what the players say with not only a grain of salt, but a lot of validity to it. And the stuff that he's done has just really destroyed a lot of parts of this franchise and just the incompetence with a roster that has a lot of talent. 
I mean, their offensive line was good. I mean, they got players on the offensive line, Leon. They had players last year on the offensive line. How this yeah. team only wins five, four games every year with this idiot at the helm is beyond me. I mean, th- this team should be a 500 team with some of their roster spots. Obviously, they have to improve their defensive line a little bit. They got to get a little more stout at the linebacker position. But their secondary wasn't awful. And not only do you improve your secondary by – you know, drafting Jeff Okuda, but you traded your best, one of the top five corners in the NFL, probably in Darius Slay. So there's not a whole lot of favors that he's done this team, you know, Patricia wise. And I just, when he gets fired, I can't remember the last time Detroit fired a coach in season. I mean, they let Rod Marinelli go 0-16, which I don't think Marinelli was this bad. I think Marinelli was a, was a good coach, with a terrible roster. I mean, you want to talk about just a God awful roster. That was it. So he, he should have been fired this past year. He should have been fired a year ago. This guy does nothing, but as a bears fan, I'll take the two wins a year. I'm not going to complain about it. (laughs) Yeah. It's like Patricia has the Belichick arrogance without accomplishing anything. That's I mean, I mean, it's it's so true. It really is. Yeah, you hear about the guy, like he sets meetings, and he's the only one that's late. Like he comes strolling in 15 minutes late. What the hell are you trying to prove? Like That you is wanna... Mike McCarthy energy. <laughs> no, yeah. uh, I mean, <laughs> Mike McCarthy wasn't that big of a douche. Yeah, he was. That was a that was a thing that got leaked. Uh, what was it, however many months ago when the oh, he, uh, after the Panthers fired him and all that, it was kind of find out he was just like show up to meetings late and just like not even acknowledge he was late, just like not talk to the players. Just yeah, there's some but, big Mike McCarthy energy. But Mar- McCarthy could back some of that silliness up because he won a Super Bowl. Was Patricia won? I mean, what that he got on his knees and prayed to his God Belichick who carried him to a couple of Super Bowls. I mean, I, I'm sorry, but if, if you win a Super Bowl, I'll give you some latitude in that department. But Patricia comes in with nothing proven as a head coach, and it goes back to my theory. I would never hire a Bill Belichick disciple. It has been proven time and time again. For, uh, for Brian Flores, who I absolutely love, I think Brian Flores is a great coach for the Dolphins. I think he's probably the best Belichick coach out there. We have seen failure after failure after failure. After the Josh McDaniels debacle, Romeo Cornell, Charlie Weiss. I mean, Randy, you and I talked about Bill O'Brien trading away one of the top three wide receivers for a bag of chips and a Pepsi. I mean, just bad. And the Lions went and took a bite out of that apple. Didn't work too well for them. Matt, I heard you say earlier in the uh, show before we came on, that you were wondering if uh, Belichick ever actually talked to his assistant coaches. And all this to me says, no, he does not. <laughs> you might be right about that. He might just be socially distancing himself from uh, all of his coaches uh, for the their entirety of his career. You know, Matt, you're really making me excited for Joe Judge in New York uh, after that rant about, <laughs> about Belichick tree coaches. Um, I'll say this about Matt Patricia. He went to a college near where I live. I live in upstate New York, and he he played football at RPI, which is the Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute of Technology. And he – every time he comes back to speak to the team or the players – almost every time there's not like a big crowd and most of the team doesn't care. (laughs) And to me that speaks volumes because around here, 
like professional athletes just don't exist. And mm-hmm. anytime that there's like a professional anything, usually they draw a crowd of some kind. People care about what they have to say. Nobody cares about what Matt Patricia has to say. And that to me is alarming. Like even your own uh, alma mater doesn't care about anything that you've done. Speaks volumes to me. So uh, maybe it's the pencil in the ear with the laminated playbook that rubs people the wrong way. It's bad optics, if nothing else. It's, he just sounds like a stupid man. We finally reached the end of the Lions segment here. Where I want to hear your official team predictions. Leon, you being the resident Lions fan in this conversation, let me hear it. In 2020, the Detroit Lions will be... I'm a big fan of Galladay. Uh, I believe he's Calvin Johnson 2.0. We call him Babytron. Schedule is, uh, schedule is rough. I think it's AFC South and uh, NFC West. Press going to score him out of two games. Staff is going to throw like three interceptions in one. Six and ten. Six and ten. Okay. All right, Ryan, do you have any optimism for the Lions in 2020? No. Um, I have their divisional record as 0-6. Um, they're going to win three games this year. It's going to be the Jaguars, the Panthers, and the Redskins, and Patricia's going to be gone in week six. I believe all those games are after week six. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a tough season. So Ryan has 3-13. and 13. Matt, what about you? 3-13, I mean, 4-12 sound right where yeah. this is going to land. I mean, I, I could see them beating the Packers in Detroit because usually that's good for, you know, usually they beat the Packers once every two years in Detroit. So, um, yeah, I think four and 12, three and 13. It just, yeah, that just, that feels right. Yeah. Four and 12 is kind of the number for me. I think they'll squeeze out a division game. Uh, unfortunately for you, I think it's probably going to end up being the bears. Um, but they'll probably end up winning one divisional game somewhere. Uh, <laughs> four and 12 is probably accurate for me. Six and 10, a little too steep, but you know, they have a decent roster. You know, some, some of the teams are worse than we think maybe that could happen. Hold and, on. Um, Let's back this up real quick. I, I just want to say one thing. When you said it would probably be the Bears, Leon, I'm just going to let you know. Mitch Trubisky, for better or for worse, is four or no, I'm sorry, three and zero lifetime against the Lions. I believe it is ten touchdowns, one interception. Oh come on! And one three? rushing touchdown. Probably better. I didn't hear that. <laughs> Matt, come back to us, man. I want to hear some Mitch Trubisky stats about the Bears and the Lions. I, 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 I'm, I'm done with the uh, Mitch Trubisky stats. That's all I got. We are losing Matt into the universe. Okay. That's some chat. Yeah, I mean, that was it. I was done, Randy. All right, well, we kind of missed all of your stats there. You kind of froze No, up no, the, the, that was it. I said – Ten touchdown passes, one pick, one rushing touchdown. Well, that's the only stats I need to give. Three and zero. Yeah, there was, there was no need to repeat it though. But it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of wanted him to repeat it. I kind of wanted him to repeat it. Uh, all right. Well, maybe Mitch should play the Lions all the time. Uh, that's my hope. <laughs> all right, we're going to shift our gears over to the Minnesota Vikings, which have no representation in the show. Uh, I'm going to start off by asking the group here, and I'm going to start off with you, Matt, since you're not uh, <clears throat> a fan of the Vikings per se, especially the quarterback situation. But are, is this the best team in the division? Because I kind of think it is. No. 
No, they, they have some serious holes. I, I think their defense is not any better than it was last year. I think it's actually worse. I, d- I don't believe in their offensive line. They had offensive line issues, which is covered up. Um, they have a running back that's holding out. Who knows if they're going to be able to pay them or not, and if and when he comes back. And then you're talking about the most overrated, overpaid quarterback in NFL history who can't beat the Bears. Kirk Cousins is 0-4 against the Bears as a Viking. I have no confidence in this Vikings team. They beat up on bad teams. I believe they had a third place or a second place schedule last year. Obviously they're going to, you know, kind of have the same opponents, but I have no confidence in this team. The bears beat them twice with a roster that was missing Akeem Hicks, um, various other players. I mean, I think Prince was out for a game or two against the Vikings. I, I just, I don't fear the Vikings. I don't see anything about this team that I'm so excited about. And I know you said Stefan Diggs was overrated. I mean, how's Justin Jefferson? You're going to have a rookie take his place. Adam Thielen can only run underneath routes. So you kind of lose that over the top, you know, the guy that can blow the top off the coverage. I, I don't know what's so scary about this team. Uh, I mean, I really like their front uh, front seven. I think that the uh, their pass rush is super underrated. I think we saw that in the playoffs against the Saints. Uh, they kind of dominated that game. Uh, like their running attack, even if Dalvin Cook doesn't play, I think uh, Alexander Madison can get the job done. I don't love their offensive line, like you said, um, but those guys are still explosive enough. They're quick enough. Uh, I think that they'll be fine in that aspect. Adam Thielen is but I think dealing in this division for that reason. Uh, measuring the Vikings against the rest of the teams, we don't actually know how good the Packers are still going to be. We also don't know how good, if any, of the Bears are. There's real, those are real two teams with huge question marks. We already know uh, Vikings are returning a lot of good, good players. Kirk Cousins, is, Kirk Cousins, for as much grief as he gets for the contract that he has, is a fairly decent quarterback. Um, it's probably the second-best quarterback in that division, and that's not saying much. Um, but – I mean, again, it's kind of like what you said. I actually don't hate their offensive line. Um, it it works for what they do, if that makes any sense. Uh, and then obviously their front seven. Um, I mean, I think this team is the most likely to win this division. Um, I think they'll probably win every divisional game just because we don't know how – I think the Bears and the Packers are going to be, like, just above average. Um, and, and going back to last year, I know, like, I always like to bring up the – Bears beating the Vikings like right before they're heading into the playoffs, but the Vikings also played all their backups. Like nobody, nobody who was still played that game. So, uh, yeah. Uh, next person. <laughs> all right, Leon. So you know you love Matt Stafford quite a bit here. I imagine you don't love Kirk Cousins nearly as much. <laughs> I mean, Kirk Cousins is never one of those mediocre quarterbacks who finds another level once he plays Detroit. So yeah. that, that's just how that goes. Uh, you know, I, I think the loss of Diggs will be much bigger than, you know, people realize. Feeling is nice, but, you know, Diggs makes you respect it. Uh, it draws a double away from feeling. I, I think they have some young tight ends that are going to be uh, really, really big. Um, you know, Kyle Rudolph, is, he's able to get his knees to hold up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cook. You know, Cook is a 
dynam dynamite back. But um, the, the fact it's an empty stadium affects the wind tunnels, and their kicking is god awful. So <laughs> it might it might help uh, them out. I'm glad you brought up Kyle Rudolph and the tight ends because I do love their tight end group. Uh, I believe Herb Smith Jr. is the other tight end they have who's a young stud. Um, Kyle Rudolph played pretty well for them last year. Obviously, health is a concern. But him and Cousins, and I think Stefanski had a lot to do with that because he uses the tight end so well. So maybe with the new coaching change there, it might not be as effective. But, you know, I think they have enough offensive weapons to make it work. Dalvin Cook or not, obviously, Dalvin Cook helps them. Um but Matt, I, I want to shift the, your focus onto Kirk Cousins here because uh, you know when we do these division breakdowns, every team the most important position is obviously quarterback. Uh, Kirk Cousins is insanely overpaid, if you ask me, and you know a lot of times holds this holds this Vikings team Vikings team back. Um, I know that you're probably not the biggest fan either. No, I, th- there's nothing from Kirk Cousins that suggests to me that he's any better than Matt Stafford, Jay Cutler. I mean. Like, I know Stat Padford is the name that Stafford kind of inherited here, but no, it's not even to the same level as Kirk Cousins. I mean, I call him garbage time Kirk because he's always putting up his numbers in garbage time. I mean, Ryan, I know you brought up that they played their backups the second week of, or the second game last year, but in that first game, he couldn't beat up a banged up Bears team, a defense that was probably at the time, I believe, missing Akeem Hicks because he was injured in that Raiders game in London. One of the most pivotal parts of that Bears defense that really supplied a pass rush. I, I, Kirk doesn't impress me at all. I don't know what it is about his game where people think he's better than what he is. I think what we've seen from Stafford is he can't beat good teams. His record against teams with winning records is atrocious. I mean, it might be the worst of all time. I think he has almost 24 losses against teams with above 500 records. And there's nothing that gives me confidence that that's going to change. Everything that could have went wrong for teams like the Lions due to coaching, the Bears due to, you know, personnel decision and horrific quarterback play. And they still, I mean, the Bears still beat the Vikings. What if the Lions are better this year? What if the Lions beat the Vikings, which is in the realm of possibility? I know we could talk about the Packers. I think the Packers are still the cream of this division, but there's nothing about the Vikings that gives me confidence about how this team is going to be better than it was last year. Last year, it feels like the plateau. And to Leon's point, it goes back to Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs made this offense dynamic. Now, you're going to tell me dink and dunk garbage time Kirk is going to lead this team to the playoffs again? Hell no. He, he doesn't have a chance in hell to lead this team back into the playoffs unless Justin Jefferson surpasses a lot of rookie expectations. And we, I think we can all safely assume it's very rare that a rookie wide receiver, unless he is extremely special outperforms, you know, the average, which is about 50 catches and about 600, 700 yards. If that's what Justin Jefferson is going to do to replace Diggs, this team's in deep shit. And I, I mean it, I mean, Dalvin cook without cook on this offense. I mean, they're in big trouble. What if Justin Jefferson is a better fit for the locker room than Stephon Diggs was? Because Diggs obviously uh, was a little bit of a diva, kind of caused some controversy, controversy, especially with with Kirk Cousins. And you could say that it might have been warranted, but still it seemed like he was the one guy that was outspoken and they kind of traded him for that reason. It seemed like that he was the guy that he didn't get along with a lot of people. So what if Jefferson 
is a better fit for the locker room and the culture and is just effective enough to keep this team to be still, you know, one of the best teams in the league and the playoff team. If Stefan Diggs said it in the locker room, other players are feeling it as well. He may have been the only one to speak up. You know what you have in your quarterback. You can't go to game film and watch it. When this Vikings defense was elite and they still weren't making the playoffs, the players knew it was Cousins holding them back. That, that year where he first signed with them, and I think they finished 8-8, eight and eight, missed the playoffs because they couldn't beat the Bears on the last, you know, the last week of the season. I mean, the, the, that's what you need to know about Kirk Cousins. The Bears started pulling their starters, and the Vikings still couldn't win that game. The Bears tried to give them every opportunity to win that football game, and Cousins couldn't win that game. So, no, I mean, I think Diggs just spoke it, and everyone has to realize that this ain't the guy. He's fine. I'm not saying he's great, but I just think he's just a painfully average kind of game manager. Um, definitely needs more talent around him than not, but, you know, I, I just – I don't hate Kirk Cousins. I don't love Kirk Cousins. He's well, just kind of well, like Randy, the center of average quarterbacks to me. But, but you're saying more talent. How much more talent does the guy need? Kyle Rudolph, Dalvin Cook, God, I can't remember, Latavius Murray, Adam Thielen, you know, Diggs, if I already said that name. He had a good offensive line. Yeah. What, what else does he need? I didn't mean that in the sense that he needs more talent now. I'm just saying he is a guy that will benefit by having more talent. I understand that he has had weapons, and I agree with you. I just don't know how much worse the weapons are without Stefan Diggs. I don't think Stefan Diggs is, like, you know, 2016 Odell Beckham Jr. Like, he's fine. I don't think he's, like, a top five receiver. I don't even know if he's top ten. Like, I don't love Stephon Diggs as much as everyone else does. But he's the one that's opening up those underneath routes for guys like Thielen and Rudolph. Without Diggs, you can start bringing up your coverage and your safeties and start closing those routes off. I mean, that's what Diggs did to that offense. He may not be, and I agree with you, he's not a top 10 wide receiver, but the stuff that he did for that offense was very important. Now, I don't believe Justin Jefferson's a burner. I mean, everything that I read about him coming out of the draft was that this guy's a slot receiver in the NFL. And if that's what he is, the Vikings have a huge problem on their hands. Hey, Matt, I'd like to chime in real quick. With all the stuff that you said about uh, Kirk Cousins, how come you have not called him Crook Cousins at least one point during this entire rant? (laughs) It it floated in my mind, Ryan. (laughs) But I I have to give a stupid organization um, their due as well because they're the ones that paid them. I mean, if if someone's going to pay Crook Cousins the money – well, he ain't no crook. Uh, well, I think Josh <laughs> Allen would know how to use Stephon Diggs, so you like that, don't you? The, the Josh Allen wouldn't know how to use a smoke detector in a burning house. <laughs> <laughs> All right, just to talk to Jacob here in the comments, he said, is the kicking Cody Parkey bad for the Vikings? I don't know. I mean, they have Dan Bailey, who was pretty good for the Cowboys for a lot of years. He's fine. I don't know if it's Cody Parkey bad. But uh, Dan Bailey, Bailey's okay, right? I don't think he's too bad. Wind tunnel. <laughs> it, it's hard with Parky because, I mean, there was aspects to him where, I mean, he didn't miss field goals atrociously. I mean, he hit the freaking uprights. I mean, it wasn't like he had these wide left and wide left kicks. No, just everything hit the godforsaken upright with him. Maybe there was a, uh, a freaking sensor tracking them to the, the damn uh, posts. Um, but we talked about Dalvin Cook a little bit, but the contract issues go- are still ongoing with the Vikings. And uh, like you said, I think, you know, Dalvin Cook's 
presence on this team will certainly affect my view on them. I, as, as much as I am totally running backs are replaceable, I am not someone who will deny Dalvin Cook's uh, abilities and how explosive he is on the field. Um, this team certainly will not be as good without Dalvin Cook. Matt, I know that you are someone who says, hey, the man, I'm kind of under the camp for like try to tag him and see how this goes because he has such bad injury history. Uh, Leon, I want to get your thoughts. You know, is Dalvin Cook worth, someone who's worth a long-term contract at the running back position? No. To this team, yes, because Kirk Cousins is the quarterback. <laughs> to anyone else, I'd say no. So, but that's that's a poor roster construction. Other than that, then at that point, you know, you can't build the team around the running back. That's what I've been saying. You can if you have dynamic wide receivers. Or, you know, I mean, look at the Cowboys, for instance. And the Giants, I thought, had it. But that's another story for another day. Yeah. Um, I think Dalvin Cook is a a very talented football player, but his injuries are too alarming for me to be willing to commit long-term. Ryan, uh, when you watch Dalvin Cook play, obviously he's explosive, but would you pay him long-term? No, uh, really for running backs, the way you got to see it, unless you're going to be like a top two guy consistently over, you know, however, over, you know, the course of however many years that you want to consider long-term for a running back, it's probably really not worth the investment, but you know, I'm also not an NFL GM and the Vikings also paid Kirk Cousins $80 million, whatever the hell that thing is. So, you know, I'm not one to judge. Randy, I'm, I'm just going to say because I do judge. Yes, you do. You're very judgmental, Ryan. <laughs> We've been meaning to talk to you about that. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but to, to the point of roster construction and how this team is, they're not making the playoffs without Davin Cook. I mean, he has forced their hand. If he's not playing, this team is screwed in a lot of different ways because he's a security blanket for baby cousins again who has to make sure he dumps it off to his explosive playmakers because he's not good enough to hit an open wide receiver on his own. I mean, there's a lot of things that Dalvin Cook does for this team, and they were awful without Stefanski when, um, what's-his-face, DeFlippo was the offensive coordinator, and he tried to have Cousins throw the ball all over the yard. It was atrocious. That team was garbage. And and now we're going to go back to that, because if you don't pay Cook, who do you got? Latavius Murray ain't that guy. So now you have to uh, rely on – They have Madison, and they have that Mike Boone guy. Okay, great. Neither (laughs) one of those guys are Dalvin Cook. And that, that offensive line is not the Cowboys' offensive line where they can just take a running back, put him behind it, and rush for 1,200 yards. This team has to have Dalvin Cook. To that, Matt, just like uh, when you say they're not going to make the playoffs, they, their schedule is really favorable, though. They have a real favorable schedule. The North's not going to be that good, as maybe not as good as people think it will be. Um, but they I think they're probably going to have a better chance than anyone else just because their schedule's really terrible. I mean, it differs from year to year, though. I mean, we can look at it right now and say this team isn't going to be any good, but usually we get those two to three surprise teams every year that finish with four wins and then end up winning like nine or ten. So I, I get it. The schedule part is important, and you kind of look at it. But some of the teams that they have on their schedule, like I know they play the Bucks. Am I right on that, Ryan? Yeah, I, I believe so. I think they played the NFC South. NFC and North they, played South this year. Yeah. 
So, I mean, the, the, the NFC South is a meat grinder outside of Atlanta. So you got to play New Orleans, you got to play Tampa, and then you got to play Carolina. Well, yeah, maybe Carolina's garbage. Carolina's going to be pretty bad this year, so. That's true. But, I mean, all, all the teams get to play that those divisions. So And I actually, in hot take, I believe the Saints are going to be down this year, so. I, it wouldn't surprise me. But, Matt, I mean, at the end of the day, I agree with you that Cook is valuable to the team this year and maybe next year. But long-term is where I'm concerned about his health and his longevity because, you know, he plays running back. The average life, lifespan of a running back, I mean, I'm an NFL player in general, is like four years. So I just don't like love paying running backs beyond their first contract. I would totally tag him this year. If you would love, if you take a tag, I would do it because I agree he has value for this season. But moving forward, I just don't think it's a good idea. I mean, I, I get it, Randy, and that part I won't sit here and argue with you about. But if this team, I, I mean, are they a playoff contender or are they a Super Bowl contender? And at that point, you can't sell it to your team that you're not a Super Bowl contender because then obviously you, you lose the locker room. If you're a Super, Super Bowl contender, you pay digs and you worry about it later because there's no guarantee that three years from now your team's even going to be good enough to win a Super Bowl. So you kind of deal with deconstructing your roster at that point. But right now, you try to do what you can to win a Super Bowl if you're this close. Yeah, I think that they're totally a playoff team, a team in playoff contention because they did win a playoff game last year before losing to the 49ers. So I, I tend to think that they are a quality football team in that aspect. Leon, I did not mean to cut you off. Do you have anything you want to say? Oh, no, I'm just going to real quick. The uh, only reason I would give them that uh, extension is because their Vikings window is right now. And you can't. There's no guarantees, you know, later on uh, as far as drafting is concerned. Uh, you know, the schedule, uh, look at it this year. So, and next year. Uh, I, I, the Vikings window is now. So, I, I'd give them the extension. All right. Well, I guess we have – it's time to make some playoff uh, – some team predictions here. And uh, to me, it really depends on if they have Dalvin Cook uh, or not. Um, but, Ryan, I'm going to start off with you. The Vikings in 2020 will be what? Uh, okay, so don't laugh at me, but I did the rest of these teams differently. Um, th- where I have a, like a, bu- a certain bubble or space where I think they can finish up in between a certain amount of wins and another certain amount of wins. Uh, the difference was the Lions were terrible. So the, I think the lowest threshold for this is 7-9, and nine, and I think the highest threshold is probably, could be a 14-2 and two or 15-1. and one. Um, Like I said, this schedule is really bad. That they're that they're coming in, yeah, they're not going to go past the divisional round. The but they can tear up this regular season schedule if you know a lot of things go right, and if they everything goes wrong, the absolute worst they're going to be is seven seven and nine. All right, Matt. Moment of truth time for your Vikings here. What are they going to be? Eight and eight. I kind of saw five hundred coming from you. I won't lie. I could see it in your eyes. Uh, <laughs> Leon, uh, Minnesota Vikings in 2020, what are they going to be? Eight and eight. You know, two 500s here. All right. I tend to be more optimistic with Ryan. I think this team's going to be 10 and six. Uh, I think they're a solid team, and I don't love that their schedule's kind of on the easier side, like you said. So I could see this being a double digit one team. So I'm going to go 10 and six for the Minnesota Vikings. This is the team I'm most excited for in this segment because of the hate all three of you share for them. 
but the Green Bay Packers, um, I would say, is probably the greatest franchise in the history of the sport. Um, Ryan, I know that you have your hot take about everything that you hate about the Packers. I want you to elaborate about your hatred for the Packers for a minute here. They're stupid fucking colors. They're stupid fucking stadium. They're stupid fucking fans. And they're stupid fucking town. What, what else do you want me to keep going on? What else the is logo there? looks like a handicap lo- looks like a handicap parking space. Uh, <laughs> just ah, I hate this team. Like, have you ever been to Green Bay, Wisconsin? No. First of all, you drive through when you first come into that town. If you're coming up from the south, you go into a roundabout that's five lanes. Okay, in in order to get to the next exit, you exit off and get into another five lane roundabout, and then you go into another five lane roundabout. There's nothing large in that town. It's about the size of Joliet, Illinois, or Columbia, Missouri. And there's just nothing's flat, 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 ocean, ocean, not ocean, lake, lake. And then just in the center of it, it's just this gigantic fucking stadium. And no matter where you are in that city, oh, I'm going to the mall, pick up, pick up my thing. Oh, yeah, there's a stadium over there. And then you go to the opposite side. Oh, yeah, I'm going to the bar. Oh, yeah, there's a stadium over there. And it's just that's how people, that's how you just judge where you are in town is by what side of the fucking Stadium, you are. <laughs> That's amazing. Can't wait to now go to Applebee's. <laughs> and you can become a partial owner of the Packers there, right? I mean, if you lived in Wisconsin. Uh, no, it's anybody can just kind of purchase uh, stock. It's oh, meaningless. If you really want to. It's meaningless stock. You know who actually helps come up with that was uh, um, George Hallis because they were worried that that franchise was going to go yep. under. So. You can thank the Bears for that stupid fucking franchise kicking our ass every fucking year for existing. <laughs> Matt, do you have any hatred you want to unleash towards the Packers before we get into it? I mean, uh, gosh. See, I, I differ from Ryan on this. I mean, I don't admire them. I don't hate them because with the Bears, it's all self-inflicted. I mean, they've been poorly run. They've made bad decisions after bad decisions. And meanwhile, the Packers make the right decisions. So, so me to hate them be, would be, to me, you know, me hating a billionaire for making the right business decision and me making bad business decisions. So, oh, I hate you guys. I've been to the stadium, and, you know, I, I watched the Cowboys beat the Packers there. So, I mean, thank for the Cowboys on that. It's one of the – it's the nicest stadium I've ever been to of any sport. I mean, bar none, Lambeau Field is a national treasure. I've been to Soldier Field, complete dump. I'm the Cardinal Stadium down here in Arizona, not bad. But Lambeau just does a really good job of incorporating the past with the future. The bleachers really add something to it instead of those stupid seats, you know, those fold-down seats. The bleachers add a nice little twist. I mean, it's just more football-y, if you ask me. But as far as hating the Packers, man, I, I hate Aaron Rodgers. I hate Brett Favre. But at the same time, it's like, damn, man, you're talking about two of the greatest quarterbacks that ever played this game. And, you know, back-to-back. And the Bears end up with, you know, 25 different quarterbacks during that stretch. I mean, the Lions were a mess. The Vikings, you know, maybe once every three years would come up and present a challenge. But I can't hate a team that routinely makes the best decisions and beats up on incompetent, sad sack franchises. I respect it. I mean, fuck them. 
<laughs> I, I mean, I, we talked about the Lions being awful. We've talked about – I mean, I'm, we're going to talk about the Bears. I, I have a lot of vitriol to unleash on the Bears. Oh, yeah, their, yeah, same. With their history. And it's just like, man, I'm going to hate a successful team. It's like me hating the Yankees. You know what? They used every resource at their disposal. It's like Knicks fans hating the Bulls in the 90s. Why? Because the Bulls were a better run organization. They had the best player that played all time, and they made the right roster decisions at every turn. I mean, it's just stupid to hate successful teams. You can be envious of them, and that can be a source of hate. But, you know, now the Patriots, you can hate the Patriots because they're a bunch of goddamn cheaters. Also, I mean, just keep in mind, Bears-Packers is also the only rivalry in the NFL, so. Whoa, 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 whoa. Anyway, I'm going to. The only one that matters. Okay, it's certainly old. I'll give you that. No, man, Saints-Falcons, the thing that started, like, 10 years ago. Yeah, man, that's that's one hell of a rivalry. I mean, Giants the NFL Redskins knows how to get, for, get them all cultivated. Giants Redskins has existed for 80 some years now. So, I mean, that's it's a pretty good rivalry. Well, no, I would argue that the Bears Redskins had a bigger rivalry than the Bear and then the Giants Redskins. Yeah, I'm just talking like divisional structure now. I mean, it's continuing on. I mean, it's usually the only other anyway. one that people bring up is Cowboys Redskins and it's like, oh yeah, these teams that are like thousand, more than a thousand miles away from each other. They have like nothing. Yeah. The funniest one is the Jets Patriots ones. Like Jets fans actually consider that a rivalry when the Patriots have been kicking their ass for the past, you know, twenty five years. Because Boston, Boston bad, Boston. I would say that the Steelers and Ravens are a damn good rivalry too. Not as old, but still a damn good rivalry. Yeah, good call. That that is a really good one. Um, Leon, uh, when I think of the Packers in the Lions history, I think of Rodgers to Rodgers, Hail Mary, and one of the most beautiful thrown footballs I think I've ever seen. Uh, I can imagine your thoughts towards the Packers. I just want to hear what you have to say about them right now. Well, um, your last episode, you had, no, first when you covered AFC East, right? And yeah. my, uh, my partner on, Jacob, and I'm going to echo the same sentiments, uh, fuck 12. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you mentioned that hill. You mentioned that hill, Mary. Um, got a guy covering the flats. What is he doing in the flats? I mean, that's incompetent coaching. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Aaron Rodgers. I, I can't stand him. That discount, double check bullshit. Yeah. Everything about him, I, I can't stand. You know, he, yeah, they tried to, you know, he runs up to the lines, walking on the field. It, I, everything about him, I, I just cannot stand. You know, a couple Hail Marys here and there, he's considered the greatest, you know, he's good and all, but the Lions give him a hard time. The Packers, their fans, I can't stand. The, the go pack, go nonsense. It's just the cheese heads. Everything about him is just. I, if I can kick a man while he's down, they're, they're the team. <laughs> I'd like to point out another thing that really annoys me about this fucking team that he just brought up, the fans. Because if you ever go into a bar that uh, on a day for NFL, NFL Sunday, whether it's in like a suburb or, you know, just outside or somewhere, no matter where the fuck you are, there's always going to be fucking four Packer fans sitting in the corner at 9 a.m. There's going to be two, you know, two ladies and two gentlemen probably wearing Rogers jerseys. If you're lucky, maybe like a really old number four jersey. 
They won't say a fucking word until kickoff starts. Once it stops, once it starts, they won't shut they the fuck do up. Not stop. Oh. Look, these are fans that went from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, and they also have the damn championship trophy named after a coach from their franchise. I mean, they they have Title Town USA. Yeah, Title Town, and you know. It, there's a lot of, you know, we talk about white privilege in the world going on right now. The Packers are the definition of that in the football world, if you ask me. So, especially in the last 30 years when you go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. And I'd like they don't to point even have a billionaire, both, like, crazy, crazy-ass billionaire running their team. What kind of shit is that? I know. There's nothing that they really have to have to, like, worry about ever. It's kind of stupid. Uh, all I want to say is want to point out they might have gone from Favre to Rodgers and both those guys combined have as many rings as Eli Manning. So, suck it, Packers fans. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers in 2020 because yes, we all know his resume and that he is a very talented quarterback. He's a Hall of Famer. Um, but the question I have, and I want to start off with you, Matt, is is he kind of washed now? Man, this is going to be an interesting topic to discuss. Is it Aaron Rodgers or is it the weapons around him that aren't very good? Um. Aaron Rodgers is still extremely efficient. I, I think we see that all the time. He doesn't throw interceptions. I mean, it just doesn't happen. I think he threw four last year. So it's very rare that you're going to see a Rodgers interception. Devontae Adams is the real deal. I think Devontae Adams is a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL. I, I really like Aaron Jones as a running back. I really, really like Aaron Rodgers. Or, yeah, Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones, the two Aarons. There's your discount double check, Leon. Um, <laughs> I just I, – I don't know. It, it's hard to judge because Rodgers still – take, for instance, the Packers game against the Bears, um, the last game they played. Rodgers could have put that game away pretty early in the first half. I mean, he missed a couple of wide-open guys just by overthrowing them. And I've, I've never seen that from Aaron Rodgers before. Usually he's, his accuracy on the deep ball, as Leon mentioned with the Hail Marys, even with guys not covering the flats, is extremely accurate with the deep ball. Maybe the most accurate deep ball quarterback that ever lived. But there was something off, and it just wasn't against the Bears. And it kind of festered itself. And then you see the Jordan Love pick. There might be a more psychological issue here this year in 2020 and you may see him not be good this year. I think that's definitely on the table, but maybe he goes somewhere else and he really explodes again for a semi-Brett Favre kind of career resurgence at the end with the Vikings. You know, So is he washed up? I don't think so. Is he washed up with the Packers? I think that's a real possibility. Is that you wanting him to join the Bears and have that part of you, you know, have the branch on the Packers? Is that what that is? The Bears would never sign him. It's against all Bear logic. We would sign a defensive end that just got done with a 12-sack season for five years and $120 million before we sign a franchise quarterback. So I, I just got to live with my reality. All right, Leon, obviously your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers have been uh, uh, outspoken already in the show. I, I got, but, some, uh, I got some more. Yeah, so Aaron Rodgers in 2020, you think he's any good anymore? I'm going to echo some of the same sentiment as Matt. He didn't really have any weapons around him. They dropped, like, wide open passes all year long. O-line was god-awful. But you realize once you make a move, his feet 
Well, he can move it. I think he was injured a bit last year. It's kind of affected him. I think he's starting to break down, uh, but he's also like, I call him the bat football version of like James Harden because he goes around looking for calls. He flops all over the place. He does this with his shoulder. He does all the head movement. <laughs> you know, him in 2020, I, I think a, a coaching change would, would help. Uh, I, maybe McCarthy, you know, restrained him a bit. Adams is the real deal. Aaron Jones is the force in the backfield. I, I think he'll have a, a solid year, not a Rodgers type year, but I, I think he'll be solid. So Ryan, you're uh, you're up here. Uh, Aaron Rodgers in 2020. What are your thoughts? Okay, so actually, for just being objective, yeah, he, he's still going to be a good quarterback. Um, like, I mean, even last year, I mean, he was still moving around the backfield really well. Um, you know, like you said, I mean, you guys have already kind of hit on that they don't really have, didn't have that many weapons and they didn't go and get anyone else in the draft or anywhere else. And they're just, just trying, it kind of seems like they're trying to tank the rest of his setting in Green Bay, which is a really stupid thing to do um, if you're in that position. But uh, you got you to gotta keep in mind, a step back for Aaron Rodgers is still going to be him being at bare minimum top six, seven in the league if there even is going to be a step back. So I, I would say if there is going to be, if, if there is going to be a drop, it's not going to be noticeable to any of us because uh, Green Bay, even with as many woes as Green Bay has, he's just good enough to make them a playoff contender. Maybe possibly maybe even a run at some point to get back to the NFC championship, just because that's just how good of a player he is, even if he isn't what he was once. And you, you know what's interesting? And I know, Randy, you asked me about the Bears. Like, do I see him in the Bears uniform? I, I think where he ends his career is going to be San Francisco. If this Jimmy Garoppolo thing doesn't work out, then he's probably going to end up back on the West Coast. He grew up a 49ers fan, and it's just going to suck ass for us to have to hear Henry Maldonado Jr. tell us about how great Aaron Rodgers is when he has been trashing him for the past two years on how bad he's been. But um, no, no I, I agree with Leon and I agree with Brian. I mean, what we see from Rodgers, and like I said, I think it's going to be more psychological. I think he's going to distance himself from the team. He's still going to put up numbers. I mean, we know he's a diva. He's not great in the locker room with guys. Um, I mean, he's been practicing social distance with his family for the past 20 years. <laughs> so there's a lot to this guy and draft and that Jordan love pick is a lot more significant than I think a lot of people realize they draft Jordan love in the second round may not be such a big deal drafting him in the first round by trading up and not addressing an offensive lineman when there were still a couple of guys out there not addressing a wide receiver which I mean there were still wide receivers out there that, that's going to be a bigger issue yeah, uh, we're going to touch on the draft in a minute here. Uh, I just want to point out the receivers that Aaron Rodgers has to throw to, which obviously we talked about Devontae Adams, who is by all means top 10 wide receiver, maybe even top five. But after that, it is just a cliff that you fall off of because he's throwing he, – they signed Devin Funchess. Uh, they have Alan Lazard, Equanimous St. Brown, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, Jake Kumaro, who he threw to all the time for some reason. And all I could think of was that guy has stupid hair every single time he threw to him and he almost never caught the ball. Uh, they, they signed Jimmy Graham, and he was pretty much ineffective for them last year. Um, 
he, I mean, I, I love uh, Aaron Jones, obviously, and Jamal Williams is a good running back to uh, supplement him with. But to me, the biggest issue isn't Aaron Rodgers with this team. I think this is overall a soft football team, and we talked about that during the draft. I don't love their play in the trenches. I think when they play good teams that have good offensive lines and good defensive lines, they get pushed around. Um, you talked about Rodgers not throwing picks. He has uh, constantly put himself in situations where he will throw the ball into the dirt or throw the ball out of bounds in, in, in lieu of throwing an interception. He just would rather not throw the interception. I don't know if he's being conscious of his statistics or he's just being conservative. I don't know, but he often doesn't take chances because of that. Um, but this team is, you know, still a very good football team, and Rodgers is far, far from the biggest problem to me. Um, which brings me to this next topic, which they are a soft football team. So, Matt, you were kind of, you know, you kind of agree with me a little bit here. Rodgers is much the issue as much as their issue is in the trenches here, right? Oh, yeah, it's a huge issue. And I'm not even saying so much offensively. Defensively, it's a big problem. Because if you can't stop a team like San Francisco, who they're going to have to compete against, teams like Seattle, and I know, I know Seattle likes to throw, but they're still a physical football team. Um, I mean, the Vikings with Dalvin Cook, you, you don't know. Um, you know, and I, I think Detroit may look to be a little more ground and pound this year and not rely so heavily on Stafford as Leon's shaking his head over there. But, um, you know, there's teams that they're going to have to go through that are going to force them to stop the run. I think they're more built for today's NFL. And if a roster is constructed to play old school football, I think that's going to hurt the Packers. If they can stay away from teams like San Francisco, I don't see why this team's not a division winner in the NFC Championship game again. But in order to be a Super Bowl contender, or in order to be in the Super Bowl, you have to stop the run. And they didn't do anything to make me believe that they could do that. Yeah, I mean, every game that I feel like they played a team that was a run-dominant team, uh, they struggled mightily. So that, that brings me to also the next thing I want to talk about is their draft strategy here. Um, you could have, you know, got, gotten Rodgers another offensive weapon. You could have gotten him some offensive line help or some defensive line help. Uh, instead, you draft, like you mentioned earlier, the quarterback of the future, uh, way before he's probably ready. I know, Ryan, your thoughts on Jordan Love. Uh, you don't love the guy, right? Well, I mean, it's – yeah, it's – yeah. It's really weird. Jordan Love's, like, best year in college. He actually had uh, Blaine Gabbert's uh, offensive coordinator as his OC, and then when that switch, everything went to, went to hell. I mean, he can't – he has – he struggles throwing to the outside. Yeah, I, I just don't know what the Packers were, were thinking with that specifically. I know that there was a lot of rumors that it was, say, Matt LaFleur was playing uh, – some kind of game with Rodgers is trying to say, this is my team. This is that. And I don't think that's a good strategy. Hopefully it implodes the locker room. They don't win that many games, but you still have Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback. Anything's possible when you have a player that good. Um, even with, you know, their tackles being hurt, tackles being moved, not, you know, not having a solid left tackle, right tackle, wide receiver aside from Adams. This is, I don't know. They're still going to end up winning like probably 12 games or something like that with everything I just said, just because the universe <laughs> hates us. And Aaron, like I said, Aaron Rodgers is that dude. All right, Leon. Um, I don't know. Did you catch some of the Packers draft? Did it make any sense to you uh, how they approached it? Um, no, I, I didn't catch any of their picks because fuck the Packers. So <laughs> <laughs> what I will say is – 
Aaron Rodgers is soft. I mean, you look at the way he chugged his beer. <laughs> but the one thing I, I will say he has going for him is Danica Patrick. So. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with that point. Uh, <laughs> I think that's an excellent point. Uh, all right. So the Packers overall as a whole, to me, kind of a soft football team, didn't change all that much, have serious issues in locker room with the Jordan Love pick, I think. Um, I want to get your guys' official team predictions. I'm going to lead us off here. I think this is still a good football team, but I don't trust Matt LaFleur. I think Rodgers takes kind of a step back, another step back again. I don't know what their schedule is off the top of my head, so forgive me on that, but I see them kind of on par with the Vikings here. I'll go 10-6 and six, um, with the Vikings edging them out in like a tiebreaker scenario. Leon, what are your Packers predictions? I, I hate doing this because, I mean, I mean, they are the Packers and, you know, they find ways to win because Rodgers gives you about three or four extra wins a season. So on that count, maybe 11 and five. All right, Ryan Shiner. I'm going to do the same thing again. The low threshold for them, if everything falls out, it's going to be seven to nine. Their highest ceiling is probably going to be about 12 and four. Okay. And you, Matt Bushnell, this is your NFC North champion, I assume? Yep. I mean, they've won it consistently. I don't see anything changing. 11 and five, 12 and four. All right. Well, that leaves one team left in the division, and I don't know about everyone watching, but I know this is the main event of the evening for me. Uh, doing this show with Matt uh, for the last six months, uh, you are a big Bears fan. You often have thoughts on the Bears that are hilarious. Um, in this division preview, there are teams of uh, – we have fans of teams in this group that we look forward to talking to them with. I am so looking forward to this because you and Ryan and every other Bears fan that I know of have been incredibly frustrated by how this organization has been run um, with how poor they are in certain aspects and yet how good they are in other aspects. And, you know, this offseason they did one of the more confusing things uh, in trading for Nick Foles after drafting Mitch Trubisky a couple of years ago. Ryan, I want to start off with you. Um, Your thoughts on Dub Bears. Where do you want me to start? Let's start with the quarterback room. Let's start off with the Nick Foles-Mitch Trubisky situation. Don't know what the hell's going on. Uh, they, you know, yeah, they go right out, good. they get this guy who got a reputation for two years ago, had a string of five games that he played well, you know, or whatever it is, whatever it is, seven maybe, whatever. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really, don't really care about big dick Knicks, former big dick pick games. This, I don't know. They, I, I'm, I'm just kind of, I, I don't know if you can tell, I kind of feel a little exasperated just thinking about this. And this, we're only a few seconds in. Because that's a lot to throw at me. Because I guess they're thinking Nick Foles is going to be the solution to their offensive their offensive woes. The Bears can still have a good team on defense. Really, they just need to find a way just to move the ball. Maybe they just think Nick Foles can at least move the ball a little bit to give them time to rest. I still believe in Mitch. Can I still believe Mitch can be decent? He but he has to prove that he is. Arm, you know. I'm just losing myself in my train of thought because this season's going to suck or it's going to suck a little less. Matt, what do you got? A whole lot. Um, so I've been saying from day one um, with the Nagy Trubisky experiment. And like I said, I give credit to Felipe on this, uh, Felipe Melicio, for those who don't know. We often talked about it. 
and Randy and I talked about it earlier today. When Mitch was drafted, I, I, I supported the pick. I talked myself into it. Um, I, I really didn't want Solomon Thomas at that pick, and I was okay with Deshaun Watson. I thought Deshaun Watson would have been the better player. But with anything, when you draft quarterbacks or, you know, a change in the franchise direction, you talk yourself into it. Um, uh, I'm sure, Randy, you've tried talking yourself into Joe Judge, trying to give him a chance. Like, oh, you know what, maybe this isn't so bad. And, Ryan, I'm not sure how you approached Mitch when he was drafted, but th there were things to like about Mitch. And there were things not to like about Mitch. But the overarching fact was that you couldn't deny that Deshaun Watson was going to be the better player. So this is where it kind of all starts. You never draft a franchise quarterback before you have your head coach in place. I think that's the biggest thing. You want to align your head coach with your quarterback. And if you don't have that, you're going to have issues like the Bears had last year where Nagy – I think Nagy excused a lot of the things that he saw in Mitch in year one because he kind of kept the offense dumbed down to the college spread. But when Nagy wanted to start implementing his things, his playbook, he wanted to put his stamp on this team and vary it from other offenses. When Mitch couldn't progress to that next level, when Mitch didn't have the aptitude to play at that level, it frustrated Nagy. And a lot of the players, I was listening to a Bears player talk the other day, and he said, Mitch isn't bad until he makes that mistake. As soon as Mitch makes a mistake, misses a wide receiver that he could have easily hit, shit goes haywire in his brain, and he becomes a fucking spaz. That right there is, you can't have that at the quarterback position. No matter how much we like Mitch, no matter how much we want to believe in the guy, no matter how much capital you've spent into a quarterback, once your quarterback does that, and I don't think that's a correctable thing. I, I think that's just who you are. It doesn't change over time. He's played for too long now. He's, that was his third season last year, over 20, uh, uh, well, maybe over the 30 game range at that point. If you're still doing that after 30 games, that is a huge issue for any quarterback. So I, I, I think you have to move on from Mitch. I, I think it's unsalvageable. Nagy doesn't want him. From everything that I've heard, Nagy is ready to move on. And Nick Foles, while it may not be the quarterback that he envisions running this offense, he would much rather have Nick Foles than Mitch Trubisky. Can Mitch change the narrative? He could, but I don't see it. So then you bring in Nick Foles. What's Nick Foles done? He's done some pretty good things in Philly, as we saw with the Andy Reid type of system and the spread offense. He excelled under Doug Peterson. He goes to Jacksonville, a cesspool of almost anything. No one I, – I'm not sure if they have – if they know what offensive football is, much like Chicago. So what's going to be different for Nick Foles in Chicago than it was in Jacksonville? Better weapons to start. At least Nick Foles is going to have Allen Robinson, which is a huge difference. We saw that um, Foles really excelled with Alshon Jeffrey, having that big body wide receiver. The tight end position is huge. We cannot underscore how big the tight end position is. And the Bears have about 30 tight ends. They're trying to corner that market in the NFL. So more is not always better. I like Cole Komet a lot. I think he is going to be a really good tight end in this league. I, the Jimmy Graham signing is puzzling at best. You know, taking the Packers garbage and let's see what we can do with it. But, man, th there's so many lead-ups to this quarterback room. If, if it's Mitch, I just don't see this football team being su successful. It has to be Foles. You can't go into the season starting Mitch because what's going to happen that first game, 
he throws a pick, and it might even be preseason if there's preseason. That first interception, that crowd's going to go after him with, you know, knives out, and that's it. You cannot go back to him after that. If Nick Foles struggles, guess what? You got to stick with Nick. The only way that Mitch can kind of succeed in this situation is if Nick just goes out and is horrendous and Mitch comes in and saves the day. Other than that, you have a big fucking problem. And this team offensively has some big problems. And I didn't even discuss the offensive line yet. I agree with you, Matt. I think that you got to have, you, you got to let it full start the season. And if things go poorly, then you bring in Mitch, because if it starts with Mitch and it goes poorly and you bring in Foles, it's over for Mitch at that point. I think that it's totally toast. And it's like you said, his mental toughness is not something that could handle that. I don't believe. Um, Leon, what do you make of this Bears quarterback room? Do you think Foles is going to start the season as QB one? Funny thing. Um, I actually believe that the lack of a crowd will help him. Nobody can boo him. Good point. You know, that's, that's an excellent point. You know, it's easier to go to Trubisky to foul to Foles rather than the other way around. I mean, granted, I mean, I'm not a fan of the team, but I, I, I do believe he's better than what you guys give him credit for. Or maybe it's just that he looks phenomenal against Detroit. I'm, I'm amazed that you said he's going to throw a pick in the first series, so. Um, well, no, no, I didn't. I said if he throws a pick, if he throws a pick in deep stuff, and I don't want to cut you off here, Leon, but I do want to respond to part of it. What we see from Mitch is emblematic of a lot of quarterbacks that can't make that next leap from good to great. There's spots where you see Mitch just make some incredible throws. You're like, damn, you know, that's top five quarterback stuff. But it's the other 30 throws in the game that you have to pay attention to where he can't make the routine throw. I mean, we see him overthrow. Ryan, how many times does he overthrow the guy in the flat? That five-yard out? Almost every damn time he can't hit the guy in the five-yard out. I'd really like to point out, though, is that for as much as, like, we are going on Mitch because we decided to make this more about the quarterbacks, and I sorry, I got my second wind just because I had to realize, oh, fuck, Nick Foles is going to be our fucking quarterback this year um, during this. but. Uh, Matt Nagy's system is not a quarterback-friendly system. We, people gave through a parade, wanted to throw a parade for this guy when he came to Chicago. That offense when he first showed up here was not good. That playoff year, that offense was not good. People, but they were like, "Oh, well, he's a creative guy." Oh, what? Because he had a play where he threw it to the fucking tackle. Like that's that doesn't tell me anything other than other than you're you know if that's the only way you can score is by throwing it to the damn tackle. What else, what's wrong with your weapons? What's wrong with your play calling? Matt Ryan, Maggie, I, 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 I'm go gonna, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm going to go back to that point, too, because we knew it coming in. It was all reliant on the tight end. This offense is so reliant on having a top five tight end that if you don't have it, it's going to look like shit. I mean, and, and that's what this offense looks like. Andy Reid has Travis Kelsey. Philadelphia has Zach Ertz. If you don't have that in Chicago, this offense is garbage. And that offensive line is not good enough to sustain this offense by running the football or throwing the football. You see, here's the thing that I don't get with that too, though, is that that first year when Nagy was there, some of the things that they actually had success with was running, run pass option, running play action. The, we, come into, we come into last year, they hardly, ever, they hardly ever run the ball. I'm not going to go down and beat down, oh, you got to establish a run. You need to show that you can at least – do something with it. Mitch does better 
when his legs are moving. He was averaging what, like six yards a carry at one point, and they were aver- and they were having him run fairly consistently that first year with Nagy. They, you know, last year they just completely abandoned that. The Mitch and his strongest points is when he's on the move. What you know, do a play when he's going to a rollout, dump and dump it off the tight end, rollout, dump it off to somebody short just to get some fucking rhythm it, with him. But they they just don't do that. They're trying to rely on the uh, step back, throw it as much as possible. Mitch isn't that type of quarterback. He needs to be on the move. He needs to do something. You have a quarterback that you can run a run pe- run pass option with, and you're not going to try to run the damn RPO. What is wrong with this damn offense? Matt Nagy should not be calling plays. Well, no, I, 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 oh. I, I, I'm going to disagree on part of it because it goes back to what was initially said, is that you cannot, hi- you cannot hire a head coach and have your quarterback in place unless it's an all-time great like Rodgers or other people. The Bears fucked this up from day one when they drafted Trubisky with Fox. Everyone knew Fox was done after that year. The, unless they were going to make a playoff team, unless they were going to make the playoffs, with that roster, which we all knew was not going to happen – you should have just drafted Jamal Adams at that point. And then you deal with that. And then you let Nagy come in and you get your damn quarterback. It's the same issue, Randy, I have with the Giants, with Joe Judge and taking Daniel Jones the year before. Like, you cannot do this for teams. You're setting yourself up for failure. And the Bears are excellent at suiting themselves in the foot. Can Nagy's offense work? Yes, undoubtedly it can because he won games with Chase Daniel. And even though Chase Daniel wasn't great, he won, you know, they won football games. Mitch can't play in this offense. It's either Mitch or Nagy. And who are you going to hitch your wagon to? I mean, he could end up like Ryan Tannehill, go somewhere else and just thrive. So you, you could do that. Well, well, Mitch won't be in Chicago after this year, so he'll have plenty of opportunity to drive wherever he wants in his broken-down Toyota. All right, so we talked a lot about the QB room there, a lot of great conversation uh, about that situation. Um, You know, we talk a lot about the bad here with the Bears, and I want to talk about some good. And I look at the Bears' defense, and there's a lot, a lot of good going on there. And I know you guys aren't all that surprised about that because historically the Bears have been the team that has had a great defense and, you know, kind of lacking on the offensive side of the ball. Um, You know, I think of this Bears team, I think of Khalil Mack, I think of Akeem Hicks. Uh, I think of Eddie Jackson, uh, you know, Danny Trevathan. I mean, you go up and down the defensive roster. You signed Robert Quinn to a deal in the offseason. It's hard to find a hole on this defense, um, Matt. I know that you're very optimistic about the Bears, especially on that side of the ball. Um, you know, does Akeem Hicks kind of determine that for you? Uh, Akeem Hicks is a large part of it. I think what really hurt the Bears last year is, like, Akeem did go down. But Leonard Floyd, for the things that he did well – was not what the Bears needed him to do. You know, he was excellent at coverage and setting the edge for stopping the run, but they had to get more pressure on the quarterback. It was Mack and Hicks that was really leading the quarterback pressures for the Bears. And once Hicks went down, and I know Hicks came back, but he, was not, he wasn't the same player with that elbow injury. So they vastly improved with Robert Quinn. This defense, I loved the Jalen Johnson pick. I think that is one of the more sneaky, underrated picks of the draft. Um, I said so much on draft night when they did that with Kyle Fuller still good. I, and I think their safety position is really strong as well. It's hard for me not to think this is not a top seven defense statistically personnel wise. 
they're probably the most talented in the league. I don't think you can find a better defense from every level. I know people will say the 49ers, the Bears have a better secondary than the 49ers do, and it's not close. I think the Bears have better linebackers than the 49ers. 49ers have better defensive line pressure. I mean, with Nick Bosa, who may be the best defensive end in the game at this young of age. But what this defense can do, they got you eight wins last year with a pathetic offense that couldn't score. So, I mean, there, there's no reason for me to think that this team can't win eight games again with everything that went wrong last year. But defensively, I think it's one of the best units in the NFL. Ryan, I want to hear some optimism from you about your Bears. Let me hear your thoughts on the defense. So, we did, so I guess uh, one talking point that got recycled a lot last year was the Bears defense being not as good as it was the year before. Um, but in 2018 was just an unreal year that you really can't replicate year to year to year. There were no injuries in 2018, no significant injuries to that defense. They were averaging about three turnovers a game or something stupid like that. You know, there's always going to be a natural progression. Last year, injury, you know, injury every other week to, to somebody. Th- things happen. You can rebound from that. Uh, like I said, I honestly think that one thing that may just help them is just finding a way just to move the ball a little bit. You know, they don't necessarily need to be coming out there and scoring, you know, 35, 35 a game or anything that, you know, people would really want them to, but they just need to find a way to be able to score without need, without needing the defense to score for them. Cause that was another, uh, that was another thing for 2018 that defense had, what like six touchdowns seven touchdowns very unheard of for an NFL defense um this defense can play really well it's probably going to get a lot more credit if the offense just keeps them off the field just a little bit more yeah totally agree there's a lot of three and out issues with your Bears offense uh and obviously Akeem Hicks injury had a lot to do with how effective they were especially down the stretch Leon uh I watched a game with your Lions and Bears earlier today with Jeff Driscoll playing quarterback for the Lions and he had some success against the Bears defense but they did not have Akeem Hicks as I already said Um, what do you make of the Bears defense in 2020? Yeah if you're looking for optimism you won't find it here (laughs) Uh (laughs) when I think of the Bears defense I just think of holding penalties and and pass interference because they're just all they do is hold, hold, hold. Yeah, I see the looks on your faces. It's true. Um, <laughs> we can go way back with you know Megatron and burn Bears defenders. Uh, but to their credit, Khalil Mack is just one of a kind. That you know, linebacking core is in secondary. It is good. Their pass rush. I mean, it's a stout defense, and to what they said before, their offense can just stay on the field. It's just that much better. But it's a stout defense. Besides yeah, the holding, uh, it, it's uh, <laughs> the potential for this defense is totally top five, and it, it makes uh, me a little optimistic about the Bears. Um, but if this team doesn't have success, and I, you touched about it a little bit earlier about the future of Mitch Trubisky as a bear, Matt. Um, but the last thing I have on here before team predictions, is this the last chance for the, I will add the trio for Mitch and Nagy and even Ryan Pace as the GM to make this thing work and what's going to happen after this year if it's another unsuccessful season. Nagy and Pace definitely get another bite at the apple. Um, Pace's draft as 
Bennett has been in the first round. You can't ignore the players that he's added to this roster that was void of talent when he first took over. With the Tressman phil Emery era basically leaving the cupboard bare, um, obviously you can't ignore the first-round misses in Kevin White, uh, now Mitch, uh, Leonard Floyd. Those are the big ones. But he also added Cleo Mack. Uh, Roquan Smith, who I think is the real deal at the linebacker position, when, Roquan, when Roquan's on, I mean, he's going to be a future all-pro at middle linebacker year after year. Kyle Fuller, he didn't draft Fuller, but he was smart enough to sign him to, the, to that transition tag, and he let the market set the price for him, and he was able to resign him. He got Hicks. Now we start talking Eddie Jackson, um, Tariq Cohen, Oh God, I'm forgetting, like Jeremy Langford, Adrian Amos. I mean, there's guys out there. Um, Eddie Goldman, who's been a great addition at stopping the run. I mean, Roy Robertson-Harris, a, a name that's probably not as well-known as it should be, but Roy Robertson-Harris is a really, 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 really good defensive end as well. I mean, Robert Quinn, I think, was a sneaky addition. Pretty good. I mean, we're going to see more players, Dion Bush, uh, he also drafted Cody Whitehair, who's also pretty good. He got Allen Robinson for a pretty good deal. I mean, it, it goes on. He's done more good for this team to warrant trying to get another shot to align a quarterback with his head coach. Nagy went 12-4 and four in his first year, and we can give Vic Fangio a lot of credit for that. I'm not trying to take that away. But you can't judge Nagy off of two years – one really successful year with Mitch, keep in mind. It, I, I know Ryan brings up the points. It, it was an issue, but I don't think it was as bad as we remember as, you know, some games. A lot of that could be, and I guarantee you they're going to throw it on Mitch. They will say Mitch was the issue for the points. But Nagy and Pace are getting another bite at this apple, whether we like it or not. Mitch is done. I, unless he comes out and has an all-pro year, there's no transition tag in his future. There's definitely no franchise tag in his future if he, unless he's an all-pro, which has anyone in this group seen Mitch show all-pro potential? He made a Pro Bowl. Yeah, Pro Bowls. I've seen it. <laughs> you, you see well, it, I mean, everyone's an all-pro against the Lions. Even Matt Flynn. Ryan, uh, your long life as a Bears fan, what do you make of this front office and their future? Um, I mean, the way I see it, this year specifically, because they went and got another quarterback, if this offense doesn't work again, there's no reason to keep Nagy. Um, you can make an argument for Pace. I think Pace is going to get another shot at another head coach for a third time, another quarterback. and um, But – you really, there's really no justification. They got Nagy because they want an offensive-minded guy that could that could lead lead a team, get you know, get an offense, get their offensive set. They hired him to be the play caller because he called a couple of good games in Kansas City. That if your offense doesn't work again with another quarterback to with another quarterback too, there is no reason for you to be there. And so I think at this at this point, if uh, Mitch, if Mitch is gone, and let's just say full, especially if Foles gets significant playing time, and nothing doesn't work out, there's no reason for Nagy to be there. They could probably make an argument for Pace, but at a certain point, I think you just got to say how much longer can we put up with this? Um, and I remember when he was signed, when they signed him, uh, Ryan Pace, they hired him in 2015-ish. They said the date was going to be 2018 and beyond. 
And then, you know, in today's NFL, you get is mostly one now, one now, one now. So they gave him a very long window to build a good team. And, you know, we're in 2020, you know, we're in 2020. They're probably not going to make the playoffs again at a certain point. What, what's going to be the breaking point? You're not going to make it again in once every six years. See, I, I, I got a slightly, so he didn't hire Fox. Like anybody that thinks that was Ryan Pace's pick, that's totally false, fake news. But um, no, that was Ted Phillips, and that was George McCaskey. They wanted to pair Pace since he was such a young GM with a more experienced head coach. That's how we got John Fox. And that's why they let him go solely on this adventure with Nagy on his own. They felt bad about sticking him with Fox. They said, all right, you, you can pick your own head coach. He fell in love with Nagy. I, I don't get – when you watch the tape, yes, there, there are flaws. But Mitch missed so many throws to open guys. He read the defense wrong. There were so many opportunities for this team to move the football that Mitch did not capitalize on. And, God damn it, I watched every single Bears coach's tape, and I saw it. He missed, he missed Burton in 2018 against the 49ers. He missed three touchdowns in that game alone that would have blown out the 49ers. And granted, Garoppolo was out anyway. But even last year against the Packers, Mitch, Mitch was missing open guys left and right. This offense, you can't miss wide receivers in the NFL like Mitch does and have a successful offense. When Foles comes in, I, I just going to say it, Foles will be better than Mitch. And they won't have to go to Mitch at all. And this is going to be Mitch's undoing. Mitch has had the opportunities. And I just I, – I can't stick up for Mitch any more than I have. It's time to cut the losses. He, Mitch, for as nice of a guy and as a bonder, and he's a leader, he works his ass off. No one's going to take that away from him. But this is it. I mean, Mitch is yeah, – it's time to go. Yeah, but a lot, a lot of their woes are also because of just how bad the play calling is, too. I mean, now, granted, this I mean, is all, they, no, hold on. what I'm about to say is, is to, to your credit, that a lot of this could also be because of how Mitch, Mitch reads the defense. But, you know, i got to say, last year, he didn't play in preseason at all. They, that took away a lot of important reps. They expected him that they, they were still doing the single read play. We're just, okay, just get, a, get out as quick as possible. Get out as quick as possible. And a lot of these plays were just one read and go. That's one of the reasons why you saw him just completely ignore, you know, a guy, you know, guy on the left side over here because they weren't having him cycle through reads. They were that was a one read offense. Because he can't so, cycle through reads. That that's the biggest issue with Mitch. So why so why not have him play in preseason then? If you know if you know like here's the, if they knew they knew going into this season, last season that that was an issue. Why wouldn't you have that? have him take live game reps more, you know, have him play more than two plays or whatever it was that they had him in and, or what was it, two passes and four handoffs or something like that each game. Uh, you know, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you do that as a head coach say, I know that this is something we need to work on. This is going to be QB one. And I, I just don't see how this doesn't fall on Nagy at the, at the end of the day, if this offense fails again, and let's let's just say if it even functions as as a way of Mitch Trubisky beats out Nick Foles for the starting job, and you say our best quarterback in this situation is Mitch Trubisky, if this offense fails again, why would you keep Matt Nagy? Because they're still going to be over five hundred. 
I mean, the, the, that's the issue. That, that's the crux that we're in, Ryan, because you know this defense is good enough to finish with eight wins by themselves. They, they did it last year. There's no reason to believe with a softer schedule they won't do it again this year. The issue is I agree with the preseason. I, I, I disagreed with Nagy benching the starters, but I think they knew if they had to go eight, nine games with Chase Daniel, they're done. I think the offensive coaches knew it. Like we cannot make, we have no shot at the playoffs. If Mitch gets hurt, if Mitch can just play and we can control what he does and we can do the aspects that he's strong at, we have a chance. But and, they don't use the aspects that he's strong at though, is the issue. Cause I mean, yeah. like we, like we already said, they abandon any play of an RPO. They abandon any play of the rollout, you know? Yeah. I think because, we're just keep saying the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, because I mean, Nagy ultimately, and this is just my guess. When the defense knows what you're doing, you have no options. We discussed it in length about Charles Leno probably being the worst left tackle in the entire NFL. I mean, the, the piece of shit got pancaked by a cornerback. Like, you, your, your starting left tackle got pancaked by a cornerback. I mean, th that's unheard of. So th they were doomed. They couldn't roll out to the left because Leno couldn't block anybody. So then you're cutting off your rollout capabilities to one side of the field. And the interior pressure, the offensive line was a mess the entire year. Now that is on the coaching staff. Why Leno didn't get benched and why you didn't move different pieces, maybe the personnel was so bad on the offensive line you couldn't do it. But at the end of the day, I'm going to give Nagy another shot at this. And I, I, I think they're going to be successful with Foles. I, I don't – I don't think this is even a conversation next year about Nagy's job security. I think that there's a potential for this whole thing to be blown up if this goes really bad. But unfortunately, I think you're right about uh, being in football hell where you're, you know, just good enough to be 800, uh, 500 and not, not bad enough to tank the full season. So you're kind of in purgatory in football world with the, the record you're going to end up with, which leads me to the wrapping up of this segment. And I love this. And you guys bicker back and forth about the bears and Leon, I know that you enjoy, you know, the, this kind of purgatory that the bears fans are in. Um, Cause at least when you tank and you're bad, like the lions, you can at least have a better draft position. Uh, but Leon, I want to start with, start with you. I want to get your official bears prediction for 2020. Seven and nine. Okay. I, I want to go nine, now because I, I want to say no. Go ahead. <laughs> so no, I, I, I got nothing else. I, I, I think, you know, I think Mitch actually goes through the whole season. The defense probably went about five games. Mitch will win two, but I don't think they have enough talent offensively uh, to, to win. So. I, I still say seven and nine. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the, the offense and blacking, although I have some fantasy advice, and I'll just offer this out there. If you need a wide receiver, uh, Allen Robinson gets a bunch of volume, and he is an absolute stud regardless of the quarterback uh, for the Bears. I love Allen Robinson. He's, like, the only thing worth watching on the Bears offense. Um, but I'm, I'm going to go seven and nine, too. Uh, I just think that they're going to struggle offensively. And I don't know what this quarterback situation is going to look like. And I don't trust the coaching staff to make it much better than that. So uh, I'm going to go just a tad below 500. Ryan, I want to get your Bears prediction. Oddly enough, um, I actually have their range very sporadic. The, the low end, I have them at 5 and 11. 
high end of having the if everything goes absolutely perfect and right, it, <laughs> they could go twelve and four. Okay. But it's, it's probably going to be more rounds. I would say around the eight, eight and eight range. Like you guys said. All right, Matt. Uh, we're going to wrap it up with you. Our our uh, not lone Bears fan in this episode, but our resident Bears fan most of the time. What do you got here in twenty twenty? The pieces defensively are just too good. And I think with average quarterback play, this is an 11-win team. I mean, they're probably going to lose both games to the Packers. But, you know, they play the Falcons. They play the Panthers. They play the Rams. They play the Giants. Um, so I got Rams, Rams, Falcons, Panthers, Giants. Then they play the AFC South. The Texans, I don't trust. I, th that's a win. Tennessee, I believe, is smoke and mirrors of Ryan Tannehill. I think they're going to cause fits for Tannehill. And then we talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, th that's practically eight wins right there. And then you get the lowly Lions. Lions don't have a shot in hell against this team. The Lions are so bad in every aspect of the game, and their head coach gets pantsed every time he plays Nagy. I mean, Nagy can beat the Lions in his sleep. So – I mean, Leon, if if the Lions end up beating the Bears on opening day, you're allowed to do whatever the hell you want. You know, I, I just had to take off the headset a couple of times. I want to make sure I heard correctly. I heard from both of you that the Bears had over 10 wins. So um, I, I know what I said earlier about the Lions. I'm, I'm going to change that. Uh, I said 6 and 10. Apparently, these guys, you must is, – is we legal in uh, – Arizona over there. You, you have no basis, though. Your track record shows your team is garbage. I mean, your right. quarterback's overrated. Your defense has been torn apart. You may have the worst head coach in, in the NFL right now. Like I would like to point out, Matt just said Stafford is overrated. Yeah, he yeah. is. We finally came back around to it. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, he's, he's average. But people that label him good, I mean, no, he's not good. He's average. But th th there are so many things that I agree. A, a lot of things have to go right for the Bears. But shit. I think uh, Mike the world out? doesn't want it. Yeah, Good I job, Randy. You muted him. Uh, now, yeah, I know. It, now, silence. The Lions have the best receiving court in the division, the best <laughs> kicker, and the best home field advantage because they play on turf. No wind involved. 12-4. and four. I can't believe this has gotten out of control here that's crack right there that, that is absolutely insane there's now you want to like i'll be the first to admit 11 and 5 is a lofty goal but they have the best defense probably in the nfl right there so you talk about having one of the best units in the entire league the lions don't have anybody best at their position let, let alone an entire group if anything, they're bottom in each category. Maybe special teams. I mean, it's great that you have a nice kicker, but if you can't stop anybody from scoring, <laughs> like Mitch Trubisky, you're not going to win many games. So they were in the top half in an offense last year. Yeah, because everyone's playing prevent by the fourth quarter because you guys are down by 20. Bad. Bad. Bird. <laughs> But, I mean, there's basis for these projections. Yeah, you know, the Vikings could be 11-5 and five and the Bears could be 8-8. Eight and eight, But the Bears are not worse than an 8-8 eight, 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 
eight and eight football team. I mean, it's just not. You, you're telling me the Panthers are going to come and beat them? Who the Panthers are desperately trying to rebuild. The Falcons are going to start tearing that thing down. I'm surprised Julio hasn't been traded yet. The Texans, Bill O'Brien's having a fire sale every other offseason, so maybe Deshaun Watson will be available next season. Yeah, so, I mean, th- th- there's nothing about their schedule that screams to me like, oh, my God, they're going to lose this game. They're going to have a tough time against the Bucs. Th- th- that's going to be a brutal game, probably going to be a loss for them. I don't like them against the Saints. I don't like them against the Packers, which they always seem to lose. I don't like them against the Colts. But all those other games, those 11 other games are completely winnable games. I would say there's about seven toss-ups in there. That's why I gave the range in between 12 and 4 and 5 and 11. Um, that's at least just how I, how I view things. There's a certain amount of games that they can win, a certain amount of games that they can lose, and there's a, you know, a range of toss-ups in there that can make anything go anyway. I know it kind of seems like I'm playing both sides, uh, but – yeah, that's just kind of how I was seeing it. I think a good range is a, not a horrible way to look at it. Oh, you yeah, said yeah. high end 15 and 1 for the Vikings. Have you seen that schedule? Have you seen Kirk Cousins? Dude, they're playing <laughs> against the NFC North for six games. They're not losing they're not losing a divisional game this year. The Vikings high end about Kirk yeah. Cousins. Oh, the Vikings are losing 3 at least. I haven't gone six and zero. Bears three and three. Packers three and three. Lions own six. No, oh my God. And uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, Packers will never go three and three in this division. Is that that's just not going to happen? Lions are probably going to win one division game. They're they're good for a division win every year. But man, the Vikings fifteen and one. That's lightning in a bottle. And I mean, you know what? The year is twenty twenty. Shit's gone crazy. I, Anything can happen. The Bears can go 0 and 16. The Lions can go 16 and 0. Your lips to God, dude. Any, anything can happen. I, I don't. I don't hate your approach to it, Ryan. Because when I look at the Giants' schedule or any schedule for that matter, I try to decide is that game a winnable game. And most of the time, for the Giants' sake, it's no. So anytime it's like a winnable game, I'm like, all right, they could win that game. It doesn't mean they will, but they could win that game. All right. That's um, also so that's I have Vikings. Lowest end was seven and nine too, so yeah. cover my bases. There's a lot of toss ups in there. I yeah. just don't think I they're mean, gonna lose it, on the division. I feel like most reasonable fans go about it that way. Like, oh yeah, they can win that game, they can win that one. That game, probably not gonna win that game. They're gonna win that game. Like it's a normal way of going about the schedule, so I don't hate that approach to it at all. Um, but we're over two hours in here, guys. I think we've gone off the rails a little bit here at the end. Lions are going ten and six, the Bears are going twelve and four. I don't know how the hell we got here, but this has been 19 a lot of fun. 19-0. Bears, <laughs> 19 wins, zero losses. Uh, first off, Ryan and Leon, I want to thank you guys for coming on here and talking about this division. And it was super fun to okay. talk about it with you guys. Uh, a lot of laughs, a lot of great conversations. Matt, uh, do you have anything to say to these two gentlemen for hopping on with us? No, it's always a joy. I mean, I love Leon and I love Ryan. You know, we've had a lot of banter. I'm glad we didn't discuss Jordan Love in great detail as that was some (laughs) must-listen-to audio when we discussed the draft. Do you want me to find a video of a dead horse getting beaten? Because, like... Uh, No, I I mean, I I know you're a judge of football talents. Uh, A little suspect. You know, I can't believe you don't like Cole Komet. But, no, I, I deeply respect both of you guys. I, I love the basketball podcast. The Step Back's one of the best ones out there. Ryan, we always Thank have you. a lot of fun, I mean, even though we disagree on almost everything. But, 
I love you for it. It provides great listening and man, it's been a lot of fun. So, you know, I can't say enough. And Randy, thank you for bringing levity to this podcast. I'm just along for the ride, especially with the NFC North. I'm sure once we come around to the NFC East, uh, things will be kind of hectic on my end, especially with, with Vince hopping on and eventually when that happens. Um, but that brings you to a good point because coming up in football life now, I'm going to create a new poll uh, for the next division breakdown, which I think we'll be going back to our normal scheduled Fridays next week. We'll stay tuned for that. We'll have an update. But vote in the poll. I'll have it run until next Monday. So even if you can't vote over the weekend on the 4th, you have until Monday to do so. Um, Leon, you have a step back episode tomorrow, correct? Yes. Uh, thank you. We are going – uh, continuing to celebrate finals week, uh, working on a guest for tomorrow night. Uh, me, me and my main man, uh, Jacob, catch us over in the basketball group, Blow With Life, 8 o'clock, uh, right after the lab, uh, 7, Johnny and uh, Matt. But, uh, you know, come in, celebrate finals week, talk about your favorite team, getting winning, losing finals, you know, and uh, cover the return of the NBA. You can never yeah, go looking wrong. forward to that. Yep, to say you can never go wrong with one of those Bulls championships. Always good to oh, see TV. Yeah, so make sure everyone to hop over Ball's Life tomorrow and check that out. You guys always have a great basketball conversation. I always appreciate that. Uh, we're going to wrap this show up here. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to Henry for this sign up here for Baseball Life. They do a great job over in Donk City every Monday night. I uh, thought I'd rep you guys. Um, so. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. This is a lot of fun. Way longer than I think we anticipated, but I had a lot of fun talking about football. This has been the NFC North episode. Leon Tompkins, Ryan Shiner, Matt Bushnell. I am Randy Hammond saying so long, guys. Be safe.